Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught offside from just outside of New York City, from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. How have your last several days been, brother? They've been great, Andrew. I welcomed Roisin Claire Devaney into the family on Friday. Um, uh, Scheduled C-section to go into all the details. I was allowed to bring music into the theater. I was in for the, uh, how shall we put it, the grand finale. Um, my child was airlifted out of my partner. Um, that's how I like to think of it, rather than think of it as major surgery. Which, I mean, I, I don't have to think of it as anything. It's my girlfriend that's gone through it. But um, the child was lifted out, and her the first words she heard from her daddy was, me, like that, um, when she first started crying. It's uh pretty special experience um i'm absolutely in love with her i've been in love three times properly in love three times in my life i can say that hmm. and uh she's one of them what's what's the first uh well no i'm like i'm in love with my girlfriend obviously yeah and then there's one there's one that's just for me oh, why even mention that <laughs> no i'm just saying it. it's such a rare thing and then um She's uh, she's amazing. Like she's she's truly amazing. She passes gas and makes a smile, and I think it's the most amazing thing in the world. Mm. She makes gurgling noises. I think no child has ever made gurgling noises quite like this. It's quite phenomenal. I'm a, I take all these pictures of her. Um, I will admit I I broke a rule. I promised myself I wouldn't, and I promised a few people actually that I wouldn't try and and inculcate her into. Liverpool Football Club or anything of that nature. Mm. Um, obviously, Sligo Rovers is a given. Uh, Brooklyn Shamrocks Gaelic Football Club, given. Uh, Yo, uh, SC Yoa, local soccer team here in Brooklyn, given. All those things. But I said I wouldn't, like, I'd kind of let her find her own way. Her mother's a Tottenham supporter. I'm a Liverpool supporter. But uh, I made a I made a playlist for, for the delivery that was actually really good. 
pre-selected songs by my girlfriend. And I said to her, am I allowed to add any songs? And she goes, yeah. So I added like six or seven songs and she had the vast majority. Like she was overwhelming uh, this playlist on Spotify. So there was, there was no question. I thought any of my songs will play right as I'm holding my, she's just born minutes. I'm holding the child in my arms. Poor Scouser Tommy by uh, Jamie Webster comes on. And I'm being asked to leave the theater. The baby's going to be taken, given to the mom, and we're going to go out. And I said, no, no, no. Let me, I, want to, I want to play this song and sing this song to the end, and then we'll go. And the doctor, Dr. Shanahan, said, okay. So I sang Poor Scouser Tommy to my daughter in the operation room. And Darcy was, she wasn't raging. She was too full of drugs to be raging. But um, she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, she said, you, I mean, this is not fair. I, I have to sing some Tottenham song to her now. And I'm like, no, you this, uh, this idea that you continue to, for whatever reason, perpetuate that you will not be, how do you put it? Inculcating Roisin in Liverpool culture. It's one of the great lies ever told. I don't know why you continue to say it. You know, it's a lie. You're going to buy her all Liverpool gear. You're going to sit her on your lap for every Liverpool match. You're going to make fun of Tottenham all the time. It's just who it's what you're going to do. Why, why are you even, why are you even pretending that that's not what you're going to do? I was, um, uh, during St. Patrick's week, I was, I made a phone call to a friend who was out of town, <clears throat> who's a Manchester United supporter. And and told that person that if if she turned out, if Roisin turned out to like, you know, I really like Manchester United, that I'd be fine with it and I'd take her to Old Trafford and it'd be a thing for us. And, you know, I'd watch United games with her. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's not, it, it's like I'd like her to be a Liverpool supporter, but it's not to be all and end all. It's much more important that she likes football or likes sport or is into any kind of activity for me. But that moment I did definitely swing towards the Anfield side of things, singing songs, and also not not an appropriate song. Any 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 song that has, um, I remember that poor Scouser Tommy was shot by an old Nazi gun as he lay on the battlefield dying with the blood gushing out of his head. Like what the? F- is, why am I singing that? I don't know, but I did. I don't know. It uh, happened. Why, why did? Why were the first words you said to her F? Because oh, I F. was because I couldn't believe it, and she came out silent, and I'm like, is she okay? And and then the next thing she starts crying, I'm like, me, just joy, just joy. <laughs> well, I'm incredibly happy for you. Um, oh, one I'm, thing I'm, I will say, yeah, um, a lot of the nurses genuinely say, oh, she's so pretty, she's cute as a button, she's gorgeous, and I'm like, you say that about every baby, and they're like, no, 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 this she is, she's super, she's so cute. And she is so cute. Well, I'll say this. I think that there's almost like a science behind that. I think that it is one of the positive byproducts of of having your baby through a C-section is that I think they come out, for lack of a better term, like cleaner in some ways. Like they don't they don't pass through like the birth canal where the head sometimes gets stretched Distorted. a little. Yeah. So like yeah. that. So they do oftentimes look more uh, earth earth ready. <laughs> Yeah, she came out with a briefcase and the copy of the Financial Times. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. But anyway, so they're saying she's gorgeous and I'm like concurring. And I do I do believe she's the most beautiful thing on the planet. But um, when she's you? angry, confused, frustrated, or wants like wants to be fed, she scrunches her face up. It goes red. And everybody should do this now. Her face looks like 
former Scotland and Ipswich striker, Alan Brazil. He's a current host on TalkSport too. So Google Alan Brazil. It's exactly how you expect to be. Uh-huh. Spell it. Look at Google Images. That's my daughter when she's mad. Because she's got the kind of uh, man in his mid-50s balding head. You know, like obviously the hair is going to come through. But at the moment, she's like a a 50-year-old politician who's trying to run for um, governor of Wisconsin. He does have a bit of a a baby, like a grown-up baby kind of look to him. You're looking at Alan Brazil right now. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. When she's mad and she scrunches her face up and goes red, she's Alan Brazil. He's got he's got a bit of a Ronnie Pickering look to him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, deep internet cuts from Andrew oh, there. Take some time I... and look up the Ronnie Pickering video on YouTube. I, uh, it's funny every time I watch it. It's I'm never not funny. I'm never not funny. So my daughter is Alan Brazil and Ronnie Pickering. There you uh, go. I can't think of a bigger compliment to lay on a baby girl. And and thank you to everyone. Oh, such kind comments. Um, just just lovely, lovely. And uh, but now back to business because this so, pod yeah, don't so stop. So how how do we transition in from the biggest moment of your entire life to to soccer? There's I don't, nothing. This is one of the biggest podcasts that we do of of this entire year. It's the Devonlings uh, tonight, and and I don't know how to get into it now because because of this, you've you've hijacked the show with your own uh, personal life story heaven forbid that the biggest thing to happen to me in in quite some time um by the way you know a lot of people said oh you're living for your daughter now no i'm not well you're gonna find out i'm i i I want to live i want to continue to live so so i can look after and do all those things and 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 do things with her together it's not it's not a one-way street I'm, i'm just excited to have her and i don't like to think of it as such a transactional thing um she's the best absolute best um this this podcast i'm really excited about the the devundlings i can see being interesting um i've made some choices in my team of the year that are going to get heavily criticized but i don't care i'm a maverick you know you never know which way the j-man's going to go um and i'm excited to talk about the europa league final which was today which i'd forgotten about until i saw this morning that it was on got excited Um, and I watched that with my daughter and she did a massive, massive poo uh, right at halftime. Perfectly timed. Yep. Um, yeah, lots to get to. The Devonlings will be in part two of this podcast. So if you're if you're tuning in simply because you want to hear that, fast forward now because uh, that but will don't, be the, don't. That will be the second here. half. Oh, yeah, I know. But some people look forward to that. And if that's what they if they want to listen to that first to make sure they get that, then that's in part two of the podcast. Don't worry. Um, so I can't wait for that. It's one of my favorite things that we do every single year when the Premier League season comes to an end. We'll hand out all of our awards. We'll look back on our preseason uh, predictions for the season, uh, which I would say is kind of a mixed bag this year, which I guess is oftentimes the case. But uh, yeah, so that, that'll that be great. But JJ, let's start because there's a lot of stuff to get to before. We want to get to kind of some of the more pressing, urgent matters. And like you said, the Europa League final, yeah. Sevilla and Roma wrapping up uh, a little bit earlier today. And I don't know how to explain it. It's one of the it's one of the great kind of unknown phenomenons of this sport. Um, why it is that Sevilla just own this competition? It's very, it's very odd, but even they do. I, I believe it's now seven and eighteen years. Yeah, that, even it's when incredible. They're in, like, but even when they're not that good domestically and they're in a little bit of turmoil, no, they've they been still... through what three managers this year? They're eleventh in the table. They were fending off relegation not Don't so matter. long ago. Don't it's matter. incredible. We're, we're about to go and win in Europe. 
unbelievable. It is. It's really a remarkable thing to the point where I'm, I, I almost wonder if they're annoyed that they've now qualified for the champions league. Like I, I I'm, I'm sensing uh, like an effort to finish third in the group to ensure that they can once again, defend this title, which they clearly cherish. Yeah. They just treasure. can't, they just can't quit the competition. Um, I, I found it like, I wouldn't say it's the best game in the world. It certainly wasn't. Um, no, no. But it was it was just fascinating, enthralling. The thing about a final is, is that you have to get to a point where somebody wins or loses. And the and, and, and so you're, you're invested, even if maybe you want extra time to go quicker. Maybe it's a bore fest. But quicker you know than this. Got, JJ, what? this game was—I wanted to go quicker than it did tonight. Today, this game was 146 minutes long. I'm yeah, not too exaggerating. Long. Too long. Much 146 long. minutes long. This game. Yeah, I mean, it, I get what you're saying. Like the game wasn't great. It was a, you know, we talk about sometimes what you can get in a cup final. This yeah. was a cup final in in I would say the negative sense of of the word. Um, but uh, but, but I he, I understand what you mean. It was enthralling in its intensity. Yeah, it was it was super intense. Uh, there was, I mean, there wasn't a ton of gold mouth incidents, but uh, there was, uh, we'll say controversy. Anthony Taylor, fresh from the Premier League, I thought he could have given two penalties. He ended up giving none. Um, there was, I mean, any world in which a key player in a, in a European Cup final of any nature is Suso. <laughs> like, what a career arc that fella's had. Unbelievable. Uh, Eric Lamella uh, flying in. Eric Lamella, for like he's at the experienced end of his career. He's a vet technically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does not act like one. Like how many times did he want to give a free kick that would have ended the game? Like if 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 there was a better delivery from Roma, um, like just barreling into a tackle to give away a free kick after another free kick had been repelled, like. Crazy stuff. He is who he is. That's always the player he was. No, it, he, it was funny watching this a little bit with all these guys that like. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying these guys were labeled losers, but like all these guys who weren't good enough to help Tottenham. You know, Lamella, Brian Hill. Uh, you know, they're pl- they've just won a, a title. Meanwhile, Mourinho, who was not good enough to manage Tottenham, is is managing the other team in this game. And Dombele has won. Uh, a title with Napoli. It's just like, it's just like adding, adding on to, to the it's amazing, amazing out of nowhere. You've pulled down the Instagram Tottenham lens for, for this conversation, but how can um, you not? Like they were, they were all, they're riddled all throughout these winning teams. It's, <laughs> like, it's, meanwhile, their own, their old club that they weren't good enough to play for is in this downward spiral. But anyway, I thought Roma were good in the first half. Um, and I thought Dybala took his goal very, very well, considering he had limited minutes in him. So, like, talk about being impactful. Get in there, do what you got to do. Took the goal really well. Um, and then they just, they did what Mourinho teams did. They they tried to to shut it down, to be negative. It's not like Sevilla were brimming with, with attacking Verve themselves, but still. And then when Sevilla get back into it, you kind of feel, well, maybe it's going to swing swing towards them. Didn't really... Thought Tammy Abraham had a massive, massive chance that a striker in form would have scored, but he didn't. Um, and then you kind of, do you know what the most remarkable thing was? I, I, I had to fathom this one, but it, it's it's factual. Um, 
The goal, the own goal by Mancini, was the first goal scored against a Mourinho side in a European Cup final since? 2003, Henrik Larsson. For God's sake, in a now defunct tournament. The UEFA Cup doesn't even exist anymore. 20 years ago. Yeah, incredible. Absolutely, truly incredible. Um, And you thought, is Mourinho destined to do it again? And just like, it seemed to me that I love, I, I prefer Mourinho in Italy where the focus, or at least our focus, isn't as hyper-intensive on him. Um, like, I love that he won a UEFA Conference League last year, but he's not in, uh, he's not evolved at all, really. Not really. And so you kind of end up with this stodgy football, and now that it's not winning, in like, it's built for cup finals. And now that it's not winning in cup finals, you wonder about where he's at. So well, Roger, but um, but I mean, that's that's to suddenly subtract the fact that he got there. Like, yeah, I know. I'm not going to hold that against him that he reached penalties of a cup final. Like well, he's a, a very like he, they're built for cup football now. Like a Mourinho side is like you go on a you probably hire a Mourinho if you want a, some kind of a like if you're solely focused, which I don't know many teams are at the top level. If you're solely focused on winning a cup, because Kind of the football, like like Roma in sixth, they have no wins in the last five. They've got like what finished the season with three draws, two defeats. Like they're not, they're fine. But well, I think they he, put all their eggs in this basket. Yeah, I think so. And I think I think as well, there's a a general energy and good feeling from what they did last season in the Conference League final that they tried to carry into this tournament, and 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 it was on for them. Um, but I just don't think his his football is modern anymore. I don't think it's I don't, like it's not built for. It's certainly not built for league play. It's built for. I mean, he's got to the final. Uh, I don't know that I can. That I can. How just can you not? What are you that? talking about? Though? Well, he just. But like, how sixth, is it built for the league? Syria A with that Roma team is not awful, and he got to a cup final that he lost on penalties that they but, could have just as easily Andrew. won. Like it's just like Roma. Are I, no... I'm not. I can't look at this and just say like, oh, this guy can't manage anymore. Like, I'm not, I, I'm just, like why are you saying things like well, that's, that? Because that, like, that's not... what you're. That's what you just said. No, I'm saying for if, if you want league success, sustained week in week out success, he's not that guy anymore. I mean, Roma are no better really in the table. I mean, they were doing sixth or seventh before he arrived. I'm just saying that for cup competitions, he still got it. But when it came to the crunch tonight, he didn't have that extra. Now, there's reasons for that as well. Having to haul off Dybala was not good. I wonder, however bad Tammy Abraham was playing and has been for almost the entire season now, if he was better leaving him on than bringing on Bellotti, who I think... I don't know. Bilotti just... I, I, he had a brilliant record at Torino, but he does not seem like a top-level striker. And when it came to penalties, I had zero confidence in him, yeah. which is good because he never got to kick one. Um, but it was... It, Raj from... Uh, my buddy John McAuliffe sent this. Uh, Raj from um, uh, Dudes and Jackets. Late career Mourinho, the will to win still burns as bright, but he leads with the self-awareness of a singer who once did massive stadium tours and is now back playing clubs, insisting he prefers the intimacy of the smaller stages. Um, and uh, John said he loved this analogy. And I thought it's good, but I, I think he's more in his residence in Vegas era. Like, I, I do think that's where he's at right now. You know, he's decided, look, can't do the big stadiums, can't do the big tickets anymore, but I'll, I'll sell out every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night in Vegas. Uh, and John goes, agreed. His live aid will be when he wins a trophy with a national team. 
And I, I do think we're in that era. Well, we're going to find out because it looks like he's, I mean, nothing is signed, sealed, delivered, but it looks like he's headed to PSG. So if that happens, Jeez. I mean, you know, it's going to be hard to judge his success in league. Uh, Cause that's just a league where it's PSG are expected to win. So if they don't win, then, you know, then sure judge away, but it looks like there are big champions league nights still ahead of him I, on a team. That's going to be in a very weird place. Uh, I don't know what that squad will look like. I think this is the best move for us as people who like to talk about the game and the worst move for both Mourinho and PSG. I think it's a bad move for Mourinho. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, uh, so I, I finished out with, uh, I can see him at Live Aid uh, singing Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me with Rafa Benitez in front of a packed Wembley before grabbing a Concord to the American Live Aid. Wasn't that in Philadelphia, was it? Mm-hmm. Sure yeah. was. Yeah, On his way to Philly. So that, that's where I think he's at in his career, but... um. Now, the penalties. Uh, Mourinho had three defenders to start. Uh, Mancini and uh, Ibanez missed their kicks. But, um, like, the options were not good. Like, there were so many substitutions had been made at that point that guys you would have been confident from the attacking side of the field, they weren't there. Abraham gone. Dybala gone. Um, So there was always going to be players taking penalties that weren't going to be great at it. To front load the penalty kicks with defenders, particularly Mancini and, Mancini and Ibanez, was, who had played the entirety of the game, and then asked them, hey, go do something that you're not really that good at, I thought was um, was a, a recipe for disaster. Um, and in the end, it's Montiel with another big penalty for yeah. <laughs> what a year, what a season he's having. World Cup winning penalty and now the uh, the penalty that does it for uh, for his club side as well. So, um, yeah, after one that was missed, we should note and then retaken because of uh, the goalkeeper off the line. Which, um, uh, looking at the replay, boy, I, I mean, letter of the law, I, yeah, I, he's off the line. But this was not; it's not one that I looked at and thought, yeah, that's egregious. You got to retake that. That's one where I was like, oh man, that's that's harsh. Now look, there's a there's a. I'd say a 95% chance that they win anyway, even if it wasn't retaken. I mean, mm-hmm. Roma had fallen deeply behind in penalties. Um, so it's not one that, you know, I think people are going to lose sleep over. Um, there may have been other decisions in this game that could fit the bill for that. I thought the Abanez tackle on, um, I can't remember who the player was for Sevilla, it doesn't matter, but I thought that was a penalty. Uh, Anthony Taylor went back, reviewed it, said, like, to me, it's a penalty. So uh, I regard- did not. I, I was okay I, with that one. I know he's got the ball, but he's he also gets the 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 trailing the he has clear shin to shin contact, and also I think um, well okay if 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 you don't want to give that penalty fine, but how he's not given the penalty then at the other end for the handball? So that's the one that I thought was most egregious. Yeah, but I think in his mind he's like I didn't give that one at the other end. I'm not going to give this one, and then it's equal Stephen, and I'm okay. I guess I just I'll say it again. I've said it a million times. I just don't. Every time I think I've kind of wrapped my arms around what a handball is, suddenly something happens that. Um, but that 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 fitted the bill because the, the hand is out way out from the silhouette of the body, and he's a good distance away. Right? It's not it's not that close. How is that not a penalty? The only way it's not a penalty is if Anthony Taylor has a bit of oh, you know, I could have given a penalty at the other end. If that other decision is still in his mind, and he's only human. And he thinks, you know what, just to keep things on an even keel, I won't give that one. I'll be honest, watching this game, one of my big takeaways of it 
you could not pay me enough money to have been Anthony Taylor in this one. No, not, I was and, a, and, and that's not tough. even including the controversial decisions that he had to make. That was just tough the night. general discourse of how this game was played, the behavior of everyone involved. I mean, what do you so, what what can be done in a cup final when you're surrounded on every single call by eight guys? I have to say that is who wants to watch that? No, no, and and you're so right. It it was really tough for Anthony Taylor in that game. Uh, there's an article, and I haven't got a chance to read it yet, so I am slightly. I, I commend uh, him. On yeah. his, if that were me, I'd be red carding people left and right. I'd be screaming at people. I, I'd have a nervous breakdown in the middle <laughs> of the field in front of everyone to see. I'd be crying. I, I, I can't, he held it together. I give him credit. <laughs> oh my God, you wouldn't be able for this. You'd actually punch someone, though. I would. I would get physical, and I would yeah, you would. Yeah. You'd snap. You'd snap. The, the pressure of a game like that. Nine got on pedestrian. By the way, even calls that were going in certain teams' favors, still they're screaming at the ref. They need more cards. I mean, give me but, a break. But anyway, going back to the the article that I haven't read yet, but I like I've got the general tenor of it. It's by um, Daniel Story, and he's saying if we want to help refs, if we want to make their lives better, can we get people to stop cheating? Soccer's full of cheating. Well, it's that's just... kind of that. Like the paradox of that is that it's it's the refs who can do that. Give car give cards more often for diving. But right? I, like, I, do, I do think a general you're, you you described anarchy there every time on on every single decision. So I, I would say when, when they're surrounded by eight guys, the ca- walk over to the captain, say you are in charge of this. Here's a yellow card for you. Talk to your team because if it happens again, you're gone. I, I think, though, it's it, it's got to be from both sides. Um, I think you have to have the refs going in with that attitude, but I also think you have to have the teams going in and in, in just like in good faith. I, I, I play in, in the CSL, and I see it all the time, and I do it all the time. I put my hand up for everything. Now, do I complain and get in the referee's face all the time? No, but it's still like microaggressions against the ref on so many plays. Like if if I think there's if a ball goes flying over the bar and there's someone closing the guy down and it's our guy that's been closed down and I don't see a touch, I still put my hand up and shout oh. corner. Oh God. But like it, it's endemic. Everyone does it. Everybody does. It. I say everybody does it. A lot of people do it. And then you it's like taken to its logical professional conclusion. And it it's bad. Yep. And Mourinho is, Mourinho is part of this. Oh, absolutely. Like Mourinho put that into teams. Like we, When Mourinho came to Chelsea, you could see immediately the change. John Terry, Frank Lampard, Paulo Ferreira, uh, Carvalho, Duff, Robin, surrounding referees, like swarming refs. And well, I do I mean, think... What that, was it he said when he got to Tottenham? When he was taught... When his evaluation of the squad was what? I need... There's not enough. There, I need more C's. Right. <laughs> I mean, like he's not he's not hiding what he wants from his teams. No, but, he but wants I, that edge. But imagine that's at a low level in every single football club in the country. Yeah, and then that drips well, down. A lot of it, I think, is mimicked behavior. They're oh, absolutely. They're watching oh, this every Jesus. weekend from from their heroes, professionals. It's, Thousand oh, this percent. Is, this is part of the game. It's part of how you get your edge in, in, in an intense atmosphere. A thousand percent. Uh, for good or for bad, we we mimic what we see on TV. TV changed the game, and it continues to change the game. And like I kind of agree with what Daniel says. Like teams have to sit down and look. Uh, the stakes are so high at the top level. I guess 
marginal gains, any percentage, any little advantage that we can have. But it's like when you get to a final like that, it does it does kind of make it tedious. And while oh I enjoyed God. the game, I enjoy I enjoy that game on the level of nineteen ninety five. Like that's the cup final. I always expected my first cup final, European cup final, was nineteen ninety one. Marseille versus Stoya Bucharest. Mm. Sorry, Red Star Belgrade, excuse me. Unwatchable, cynical, diving, faking. Just, I was never so bored in all my life. It was, I remember sitting in my little kid's dressing ground watching it with my dad, who was yet, as yet not converted to soccer. He was still a, a, a GAA man. And he just thought, he said it so many times, this is, what is this? The showpiece game in European (laughs) football. And that's what that was tonight. That kind of, that kind of vibe. Yeah. I mean, look, there were some chances. Both teams hit the post. Obviously both teams scored goals at least. Um, Yeah. You had had kind of like the goal mouth scramble in front where Abraham sort of stabbed at it. There was some tense, I mean, there were tense moments. There were some opportunities. This is thin thin gruel though. Well, here's, here are a couple of my observations from this. I have a rule proposal for you. Okay. Feel free to veto. It's out there a little bit, but I'm watching extra time in this game. And I'm just thinking as it's, as it's happening, what are we doing here? Why are we doing any of this? What if JJ, we put, we installed a new rule where, after the 90 minutes is up and we're getting ready to play extra time, you bring the managers together. They consult with their team. You bring the managers together and they can decide right there at midfield. They'll talk to the ref. They can decide we're we're happy to go straight to penalties. We don't need to go through this 30-minute charade. All, our, our intent, if we do this, is to waste as much time as possible and just defend the hell out of the game. And if both managers have that approach, why even bother? Hit the button and let's go straight to pens. What do you think? I don't love it. Um, okay. I, I I see the I see where it's coming. Where both you're coming both from. sides have to agree. If one side says no, we want to play, then we play. But no, if both sides it, said we're I, not, we're not up for this. I would say the team most eager to go to penalties, uh, the opposition will it'll smell blood in the water, or, or they'll they'll perceive an advantage and they they'll veto it, and you'll end up with extra time anyway. I would imagine okay. that. I I have a counter proposal. All right, let's get golden goal back in. Let's inc- happy with that too. Let's incentivize this mother. Let's try and win it in the in in the style that God intended, which is to put the ball in the back of the net from an open play, not always from twelve yards. Let, let's give it a go. We never it had what three or four seasons, two or three tournaments. I mean, yeah, yeah, I remember the two thousand two World Cup. Obviously, with I remember France for Korea. France v Italy in the Euros. That was won by a golden goal by David Trezeguet. Trezeguet. Yes. Yeah. Um, I just think there's something in it if we really commit to it. And I do think football is more open now than it was 20 years ago, uh, 25 years ago. And people will try to do it. Um, so I, th- I think we should give it a run uh, as long as people are committed to it. Like I, I genuinely felt it felt like an experiment the last time and then they just scrapped it. And I want I want them to to follow through and give it a good give it a give it a decade. Okay. But um I would I would tend I would tend to agree with Jay. It, we need we need some kind of tweak. Uh also another observation. Um the atmosphere of this of this game was spectacular. Both crowd both groups of, of fans, mm-hmm. Sevilla, Roma, boy were they up for it. Um one thing you don't often see the fans running onto the pitch at the end of a European Cup final. 
I don't I don't recall seeing that. Uh, kind of jarring, and I'm wondering if Alexander Seferin's going to have a, a little phone call to make to uh, the to Sevilla. Well, it was in Budapest, yeah, where that stadium itself has seen some rather rotten fan behavior in the last couple of years. Now I know the the destinations for these finals are decided a good few years in advance, but personally, I think a punishment for what we've seen coming out of that country and that stadium, those sets of supporters would have been to not have the final day in the first place. However, it is a great stadium. I yeah, really like I it. I thought so too. Yeah. So um, maybe, maybe there's a, maybe Seferin will have to look at stadium security there. If he's not willing to look at uh, the state, the behavior of the national team supporters, what are they called? The, that, that black clad bunch of fascists. <laughs> Jeez. That, I, don't, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, but they were they were pretty nasty during the um in the European Euros, championships. Right? Yeah. 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 And and beyond and in other games. So I was kind of like, yeah, fair way to kind of deny people their joy and make them behave is to take major games like this away from them. But whatever. But it wasn't but it wasn't them that were that like that's almost irrelevant. It the, was No, it was... it's the venue, it's the country, it's the city. Take it away from the country. Get your fans, get your national team fans under control, you don't get uh, major games. That's... All right. I suppose if we're, if, they're, if we're serious about this, we have to use every tool at our disposal. But that said, do like the stadium, do like that pitch. Um, yeah, I haven't seen a, haven't seen one of those in a while. It's usually people stay in the stands; they don't get on the field uh, at any point. So yeah, that was maybe something Seferin will look into. Yeah, but at any rate, uh, yeah, there's your your Europa League final. Congratulations to Sevilla who uh, who do it again. Um, let's see, we continue now, JJ, a couple other things. Obviously we haven't had a podcast since all of the drama from this past weekend. And despite the fact that we're a few days removed from it now, obviously we are going to address it because some of the things that went down were just unbelievable. And we have to, for me, uh, we have to start in Germany. That was what I had said on the previous podcast was what I was most excited for heading into the weekend. And it did not disappoint from well, a did, drama though. from a drama perspective. From a from a what I wanted to see perspective, <laughs> I was not thrilled. Look, I have no allegiances to either of those teams. I just want to see something different. And Dortmund, for however much of a giant they are, I know they got they they kind of wear this underdog badge, which probably makes a lot of fans in Germany sick because Borussia, Borussia Dortmund are hardly underdogs of anything. They're a great club who are contending all the time for various titles. So, well, let's let's let's. But in that in that, that league, everyone is seen as an underdog. Well, let's pause that one for a little bit because you ask a question way down the the list here yeah. that. That's a great one, it's, and it's one worth commenting on. And I think we this weekend's results can play into that a little bit. But so let, let's pause on whether they're okay. a big club or not, or blah blah blah. Um, I mean, the XG philosophy sums it up. Dortmund had four point two two to Mainz is one point six seven. Now Opta had it at four point one six expected goals for Dortmund. But regardless, uh, Opta, for- but Opta pointed something else out in conjunction with that, which is, which only makes this even sadder. It's the highest XG a side have registered in a game without winning it in the Bundesliga this season. Can you believe that? Ugh. Can you believe that? But can we in, put in, XG- in the game that they needed to win? It was the first time this season somebody had an XG that high without winning the game. You can't make this stuff up. You can't. But also XG aside, blah blah blah. All that XG came after the were two 0 down. The majority of it did. All right. Whenever I mean, 
No, well, so the don't number go, is what it what, is. What are you doing? Two nil down. They, so I obviously I watched this in the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's my baby's first game that she watched with her dad. Yeah, incredible. So I'm watching it there, and you know, one eye in her, one eye in the game. And when I when I turned it on, I obviously turned it on midway through the first half. I was just a crestfallen because I really do like Dortmund, <laughs> and B, come on, yeah. Like, come on. That, that was, that is literally what my reaction was too. Are you <laughs> serious? Is this actually going to happen? They're yeah. not going to blow this, are they? They are? What? Yeah. I couldn't believe it watching that transpire. Um, and then the joy of discovering that things were going your, even though things weren't going your way in your own stadium, things were going your way courtesy of Cologne. And it was a cool scene in Dortmund when that happened. It seemed like the whole crowd kind of found, found out simultaneously. I mean, a real roar went up. Yeah, but then you're you're relying on the good grace and the good defense of Cologne to keep that result the same. And you're forgetting, well, however up and down barren of this have been this season, you know, they've got a Musiala. <laughs> There's a good chance they'll score again. He's spectacular, Musiala. Well, yeah. I mean, my God, what a player for that age. Uh, ESPN UK... Uh, sent out a tweet um, noting this, which I had forgotten. A reminder that Bayern Munich only paid Chelsea 180000 for Jamal Musiala. <laughs> yikes. I mean, yeah, yikes. It goes to show you, you know, the Chelsea kind of system where they just hoovered up young talent to such an extent. You're going to miss sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes things are going to get slip away. Yeah. Another one tweeted by ESPN FC that this is spectacular, JJ, about Kingsley Coleman. Who's twenty six year old? He's twenty six years old, and he's already won twelve league titles. Yeah, eight Bundesligas, two Serie A's, and two league A's. He's twenty six. Mm. He's won a league title in every single season that he's played in his career. He doesn't been, know what it is to not win a title. He's been on decades long teams of domination. He was bang in the middle of the Juve domination. He was bang in the middle of Dortmund's decades long. Into its second decade of domination. Uh, we we got to get this guy over to Scotland playing for Celtic. Keep the <laughs> <Yeah>. streak alive. <laughs> Complete the domination. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I don't know, going through it, like on Twitter in the aftermath, some people found it funny the way that this happened for Dorman. I, I honestly found it sad watching the scenes. I couldn't stop watching the scenes afterwards. JJ, it's one of the most... Weird, but I guess also simultaneously admirable things I've ever seen from a crowd. Yeah, um, singing to their team afterwards, serenading them, chanting in Terzic's name. No one. Ste- le- I mean, they were devastated, but they continued to sing and support their team after one of the worst, maybe the worst loss that I would say ninety-five percent of the people in that stadium. So, I mean, that was worse than their Champions League defeat to Bayern Munich, and that was a tough loss. That was an eighty-seventh-minute goal for Arjen Robin. Like that was a, that was devastating. But I think this, this this was worse. This, but they were singing. I, I believe this was worse. Singing specifically to Terzic and thanking him was, and him getting emotional. Oh yeah, I mean, we talked about it on the last pod. He's a Dortmund. Like this is his team. This is Watching. who he grew up supporting. This was always where he wanted to be. Uh, I, I can't imagine him, Marco Royce, guys like them who have, who have been at this and, and this team is in their blood. I, I can't imagine kind of what they're thinking in that moment after they, you know, I'm sure they're upset for themselves. And I'm sure to a certain extent, they felt like they let every person in that building down. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's unspeakable that they didn't win this game. 
it's it is terrible. Um, we'll re- we'll return to that though. Um, I just want to talk about Byron for a second because yeah. it was funny when we when the commentary on ESPN switched to Byron. You know, you had Casey Keller basically saying, you know, this won't be treated as in the same way that the other championships have been. This hasn't been a great season for Bayern Munich, even though it's a. And I suppose when you get to your eleventh consecutive title. Then you start to look at the titles in a different light. Um, so much. Uh, I had a. T- I'm glad I had a terrible historical reference there that I did not reach for, but there was thankfully, but there was terrible, um, like kind of uh, internal bloodletting and uh, kind of prior to the game. You know, you saw Sporting Director Hassan Sali Hamasic getting dismissed on Saturday. Now. He ended up um, being on the, he was on the field actually, I think, in Cologne, um, celebrating the title. Um, but Oliver Kahn wasn't. And Kahn said in a tweet, um, he was forbidden by the club from attending the team's game in Cologne or the trophy presentation in Munich. And he told Sky TV that it was the worst day in my life, taking uh, away being able to celebrate with the guys. And it was, um, let me see. I'm just reading here from ESPN FC. President Herbert Heiner, um, he was saying both Khan and Sally Hamasic were informed of their dismissals on Thursday. And while Sally Hamasic took the news well and subsequently traveled to Cologne with the team. This is a direct quote, and I love it so much, from Heiner. Unfortunately, it didn't go so well with Khan. <laughs> and you can see now both of them I mean, Sally Hamasic can handle himself, I'm sure. But if you were to pick one of those two to absolutely lose their ass. I, I wouldn't mess with Oliver Kahn. Oh, my God. It was very emotional. And we couldn't agree with Oliver in the end that the finish would be amicable. <laughs> we couldn't agree with him. Why don't you agree? Not- and then we sat down with the supervisory board in the extraordinary meeting and decided to dismiss Oliver Kahn. And because of this situation, of course, he couldn't go to the celebrations on Sunday or to Cologne on Saturday evening. So I'm just saying, like, there's there's internal turmoil at this club. Um, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge is going to be brought back in in a, uh, a board capacity um, to try and, and steady this ship. So, you know, it, this won't be treated as some kind of vintage year. Um, they need a sporting director to replace Sal Hamasic. Um Rummenigge will be on this supervisory board, whatever that is. I don't know, but it, it, it there's there's a lot of upheaval there, and it, it, it's very curious how this goes forward. Because all right, they won the league, but they are not a force in Europe, and they need to be. Yeah, well, um, I would say this is probably the best kind of wake up call, right? Like it, it was, it was all still so jarring that they know things are not okay here. Like it, there's no title. There's no win that could paper over these cracks. They know that stuff has to change. Do you think? Um, uh, however, they still want a title in dramatic fashion. Um, yeah, so they still it's had not going to celebrate. Yeah, but th- think of the things they did. They basically ripped up a whole plan involving um, a young manager who's say what you like is pro- still on an upward trajectory in his career. You would think ripped all that up mid season and brought in Thomas Tuchel. You can't say it worked. It worked because no, it did not. It, it worked because Dor- it, they fell into it because Dortmund collapsed on the final day of the season. Um, so yeah, it's just intriguing to me. And um, do you think uh, Oliver Kahn threw things? Like, uh, 
Yeah, probably. I bet he punched like if he was at a table, he probably punched the table. Yeah. In rage. Um lots of shouting. Um Yeah. Yeah. I, can see I don't that. I I'm I'm gonna say I don't think it got physical. But he swore like a lot swore, of swearing. A lot of swearing. Yeah. Um yeah, the, the Munich angle of this is fascinating because we'll see. I mean, they're gonna obviously they'll go forward with Tuchel. Um but as presently constituted not good enough. Like I talked about, you lose Lewandowski. Maybe they thought Sadio Mane would be able to pick up the slack, and that didn't work the way that they had hoped it would. Musiala is still so. What is he? Twenty. I mean, there's there's such a great player in there with him mm-hmm. that you know maybe they'll they'll find a way to kind of tailor their system around him, and he'll be good enough to carry them deeper into Europe. Um, but yeah, as presently constituted, not good enough. I've seen rumors of Declan Rice. Um, which is I saw that today. Which is very interesting. And we know he likes to switch countries, so he'd have no problem going to Germany. <laughs> um, one final note on all of this, back to the Borussia Dortmund side of it. Um, one thing that did come out of this, I kind of joked about it on Twitter afterwards, but I am being genuinely serious. JJ, there is no moment too big moving forward for me to say, I don't think Gio Reyn is up for this. He came into that game with a title on the line. He came on as a sub in like the 60 third minute or so, something like that. And him, by himself, changed the game. Changed the game completely. He was spectacular. In the face of that kind of pressure, in that sort of moment, to come on as a sub in the sort of season that he's had, provided both assists for both goals, could have had another. Uh, There's no moment again. Like, if we go to the... Like, with what just happened at the last World Cup where he couldn't play, now we know there were obviously reasons around it. But for anybody out there who wanted to say, well, yeah, I don't know if he if he was up for it. He, he's proven to me he's up for it. Like, that, the late goals that he scored for Dortmund this season, coming on as a sub, what he did in this game, he's up for it. Um, Opta Jack tweeted, uh, seven, including two assists today over the weekend. Gio Reyna recorded seven goal contributions off the bench this Bundesliga season, tied with Arturo Martinez for the most in the top five European leagues this season. Uh, Matthew Gonzalez also tweeted, uh, you would think that the person with the best goals to assist, uh, goals slash assists per 90 would start in a title deciding game. JJ, Gio Reyna this season in the Bundesliga had a 0.92 goals slash assists per 90. That was best in the Bundesliga. Christopher Nkunku was next at 0.91. Now I know it's a little bit it's you know Reina doesn't play as much so it's easier to hype that number up yes. but still he had to do it but I don't I don't think that's all about playing I don't think that's all about oh um we're leaving out this uber talented young player like you cannot forget his injury record and I'm telling you that the medical staff will be in he's been in prior to Christmas we know for facts uh, September October November he was in load management like they were looking after him. They were making sure he could be reintegrated in the squad and wouldn't break down again. And it has yeah, happened. Yeah, but We've then after him... the World Cup, he went through a stretch where he played a little bit. Then he wasn't wasn't really playing. I don't think that that was down to injury. No, no, no. But like it's hard. It's hard when you when you've been out from injury. You've been a guy who's in out of the squad, and then you're going to come in, and the manager's going to pick you all the time. So like he's young enough where where this stuff can end up not mattering and he becomes a day-to-day regular player that plays every game. But we're not, we're not at that point yet. So um, like, it, and if he can come in and make an impact, that's as good as anything. I, the bottom line is why are they two nil down at home? That <laughs> I mean, the, the second goal in particular was so oh, egregious. The amount come of space, on. nobody marking him in front. Yeah, that was, it's terrible. It's, it's a defeat that they will never forget. They will nope. never forget this one. That it's day. One that you I, just, you don't, that, you, you don't live these ones down. 
They had a they had a their match planned. They had T-shirts made. It's so sad. It is. It's super super sad. But yeah. we we should uh, we should probably move on from it. And so should they. Yeah, some help from a therapist. More sadness. Let's go now. Uh, our thoughts on the EPL relegation. Three clubs were fighting for just one spot over the weekend, and in the end, it was Everton who got it done thanks to this. Tarkovsky. Once again, it's come out to Dukure! So I tweeted at, was it halftime? So Leicester were leading West Ham. Uh, Everton were being relegated because it was nil-nil. And I asked the question, uh, who would be the Graham Stewart who kept them up in 94 with his goal against Wimbledon? Who would be the Gareth Farley who had a not dissimilar goal than Decores, although I think Decores might have been a better strike, against Bolton to, to get a point to keep them up in 97-98? Who was going to be the next Everton final day hero to stave off relegation and it's Abdullah Decore and it was an amazing strike a super strike and um and Bournemouth didn't really have much of a response Pickford made a save from a, a volley late on but like genuinely if you watch them Everton were comfortable enough in being able to repel whatever and like Bournemouth were playing for nothing Bournemouth have been on the beach for so, a while yeah. I mean sometimes the teams on the on the beach are the ones that will get rolled over and crushed. Sometimes they're dangerous because they're no, sort of nothing, they weren't dangerous. They're sort like, of a nothing to lose attitude. Um, I mean, Everton, you, there was a tension in that place. Oh my god! I mean, they were talking about it a lot on the broadcast of just like how you could you could really feel the nervous energy um, in that. We're place. on about we're on about pitch invasions earlier. This was one of the saddest ones you've seen compared this, to. I wanted to ask you about this because yeah. the scene last year was joyous when Everton yeah. stayed up. It was really a, a joyous occasion. Some people had a laugh at it, but I think you and I were both of the opinion. I remember you you used the phrase, that's not how joy works, to the people who had a problem with Everton fans going crazy over, over what they had just done. It's not how it works. This one felt a little bit different, even yeah. amongst Everton's own support. They stayed up. Obviously, it was a huge sigh of relief for everyone there that they're going to continue this streak of being in the top flight in England. Um it's what everyone wanted who was there. So like, yeah, be happy. Of course, celebrate it. The, the, the decor goal is something you'll never forget. But in terms of the pitch of invasion afterwards, some fans did, they went to that level. Others were not, not prepared to do that for this team. And there were chants in the stands about um, wanting the board out ownership out. Um, it was a, it was a weird atmosphere, much different than the scenes we saw last year. Uh, when Everton stayed up on the second to last day of the season against Crystal Palace, uh, when everyone seemed to be kind of all pulling in the same direction, all in unison, the joy of that moment. This felt there was a, a darker sort of energy to this one, which I fully understand because I think Everton fans recognize what's going on here. They barely survived last year. They did nothing essentially to help their situation and they need the message to be known. We're not, we don't put us through this again. This can't just be who we are now. This club who's constantly teetering on the edge. It's no way for the, for a club like Everton or for anyone for that matter to go through their Premier League existence. But that's where they're at. And they've got this new stadium coming down the pike. The financial repercussions of that would have been devastating had they gone down. So the fans probably saw their, their top flight lives flash before their eyes because who knows how long they could have been down there. Um, 
So I, I'm okay with fans. Yes, be happy, but I'm I'm all right with the reaction of I'm happy, but I'm also letting you know that this is this was unacceptable and it's got to change. Well, our, our mate Ped from uh, Toffee TV, who we had on earlier when things were grim and they've been grim all season, but it was after the firing of uh, Frank Lampard. He tweeted this in capitals in a response to something Tim Keach tweeted, who was uh, another Everton supporter. He said, be arsed with celebrations. Be here again and again unless there is fundamental change. Yeah. And that's the sense. They aren't arsed. They aren't bothered about celebrations because this will be rinse repeat next season. Now, I would ask you, what is going to change? I don't think Dice's football um, or there's a whole lot from from what we saw from Sean Dice that makes you think this is going to get better or that they're going to, you know, rocket up the table. The players need changing. There is a sense also that there's some financial problems coming down the line. And we don't we don't have time on the pod tonight to get into that, but there's some real danger. FFP violations. Yeah, those have yeah. not gone away. If anything, they've coagulated and, and got even more difficult. Um, the new stadium, the Usman of money not being there, and the board. This board is hated by Everton supporters. Yeah. It's got them to where they are. That board is not changing. They're still on the EPL gravy train. So they're going nowhere. So unless there's fundamental change, um, I said it last season and I was right. Frank Lampard needed to be sacked after they won the after they won promotion. But there was too much of good feelings that went into the summer and it ebbed away as they did not make the signings they needed to make. They did not do the things they needed to do. There was not the overhaul. Are you telling me the same thing's going to happen this summer? They're relying on Sean Dyche and making them you know, Everton, the dogs of war again, hard to beat, difficult. Oh, Goodison, what a tough place to go to. They're, they need more. Are they going to be in and around there again in December? That's just a fact. Yeah. Now, so, this this was the team that stayed up. Let's talk about the two quickly here that did not. <laughs> JJ, I don't know if a, if a big enough deal is being made about Leicester City going down. I tend to agree with you because they have been a model of doing it the right way for a mid-sized or smaller club in, in the Premier League. I mean, obviously, the league win in 2015-2016 was, like, stunning. Absolutely stunning. But take that away. Even take the FA Cup away. How many, how many like, fifth place or top half finishes have they had? I mean, JJ, that's why I, I think this is, like, we've seen... There are certain clubs, Everton would have been one of them, but there are certain clubs over the years that we've seen get relegated during the course of this podcast that that are weird to me. Like the first time I saw Newcastle go down, I was like, wow, that can really happen to a club that size? When I saw mm-hmm. Villa go down, really? A club that size? This, though, I think, like with those clubs, they were trending in that kind of direction. I'm sorry. Yeah. this When you look at this Leicester City team, granted, they're not perfect. There's tons of flaws there. This, for me, I think is is maybe the most unacceptable relegation that I've seen. This team is coming off a three-year stretch of fifth, fifth, eighth. Like, you should not be going from that to relegation. This Leicester City team costs 362.1 million euros to assemble. That's ninth most in the Premier League. Now, like, no, it's not a billion euro Chelsea side finishing 12th level embarrassing, but it's not far off. Castagna, Barnes, Madison, Tielemann, Vardy, Ndidi. Like, this is easily, I mean, if we're going to talk about the other big clubs that have been relegated, Villa, Newcastle, teams like that, this has got to be the most talented team I've ever seen go down. Uh, I I can't believe something like this could happen. I guess 
you know, you talk about maybe reading the room from the Everton perspective that, you know, all the good feelings around Lampard, maybe they should have seen it earlier. You could probably say the same thing about Brendan Rodgers. You know, he he had opportunities to get this team back into Europe, failed a couple or the Champions League, failed on a couple of occasions. Maybe that he had built up goodwill with the FA Cup. They gave him every opportunity, but it, you know, it that didn't work. Clearly the team had to, had tuned him out. Um, I was reading also, I think how many? There were eight guys, nine guys, something like that, that were in the final year of their contract with this Leicester City side. I mean, what are those players thinking? That, you know, I'm not a part of this future anyway. I'm not saying they weren't playing hard, but like there's maybe this seed in the back of their minds that like my future's not here anyway. Um, as it is, Yuri Tielemans has already announced that he's leaving the club. Um, so like this this one, I don't know. This one is is this one's terrible to me that a team with all those with all those great players with all this pretty you know incredible recent history of the last eight years or so um to see them go down that's that's a shock it really is yeah um brendan rogers though did like lay into his own team his staff his club about complacency like at the start of last season and even towards the end of of, of last season you know he wanted investment. He was promised all these these things. They are another team that had to had to rein it in a little bit because of financial fair play and the monies that they that had been spent as well. And they they got it wrong. They didn't correct enough, or they they overcorrected from some seasons where where maybe if a few million less they finished tenth or eleventh, but there's they can still go again the next season and get players in. I mean, Rogers was kind of bleak. He wanted change. He wanted. He wanted more players in. He wanted kind of upheaval of the squad, and it never happened. And maybe it's a classic case of just getting complacent. Yeah, you know, maybe. Maybe that complacency gets into the club. Them going down is, it's it is something. I, I saw Gary Lineker had a tweet that I thought was really it summed it up nicely. Yeah. Uh, he tweeted a word on uh, Leicester City. If eight years ago you'd have given me the option of winning the Premier League and the FA Cup and then get relegated, I'd have snapped your hand off. Also, I'd have told you not to be so utterly ridiculous. <laughs> He's yeah. right. Like you would sign up for this, but you'd also say, but it's not going to happen. So whatever. Like, yeah, sure. Okay. I'll sign up for it. But here yeah. they are. Here they are going down. Uh, pretty incredible. No, they are. And it's, um, it, it's going to be interesting. They'll have to use the parachute payment system very, very wisely. And it's never, it's never guaranteed you're coming back up and they're going to lose players as well. There's no, oh, yeah. Tielemans not going to be there. Maybe Vardy wants one last, one last drink in in a, in a Premier League saloon somewhere where he can come off the bench. If he gets that offer, he won't stay either. He's been at Leicester. He doesn't owe them anything. So, um, yeah, it's going to be uh, going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, finally, don't have a ton to say about Leeds. I have came to a, a pretty embarrassing end for them. Um, terrible season. I'll let you. I'll let you go on them. Yeah. Um, just just so many things happening at the club. Um, most notably, do the 49ers, uh, 49ers Inc. or whatever they call themselves, they they buy the the whole thing, the majority share off um uh, Andrea Radrizzani. Now that they've been relegated, I don't I the Phil Hayes belief in the athletic is that they do. Um they're gonna have to get rid of some players. Uh and that was the problem, really. I think after Bielsa finished ninth in the Premier League in the first season back up, there was not significant infrastructure put into the squad. So you ended up with a scenario um, uh, much like what uh, my friend Welsh Wayne 
who was a massive lead supporter, explained to me, you've Adam Forshaw still at the club. You've Luke Ayling still at the club. Key players. Still players who have to come in and do their bit. Um, you have a situation where you're buying in players that just don't work. I mean, Jorginho Ruter, is there being a worse signing? Maybe not. Um, you know, Bamford. The Bamford issue was never addressed. The guy couldn't stay fit. He was crucial for goals. And when he comes back, he's lost. A, he's one of the low-confidence players in the league. They did not have an option who could come in and, and, and replace him. Um, yeah, they, I mean, look, Brendan Aronson, Weston McKinney. Like, bad, bad have to say these, these are things that did not work. Handed um, the reins, handed the reins of the club to a manager who probably hadn't done enough in his last job to earn a Premier League job or earn a club as big as that in, in Jesse Marsh. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of Americans out there and they're going to give me the stats points per game with Jesse, Jesse Marsh versus points per game with Javi Gracia or Sam Allardyce. I wouldn't have employed either three of those people. The big thing for me, and I'll just sum it up quickly. What was the post-Bielsa plan? They had not planned for one. If Bielsa goes wrong, what happens? And the next thing, they're conceding goals, leaking goals, and they can't, they, they, they just basically couldn't, as I think it was said on the Athletic podcast, they couldn't un-Bielsify the club. They'd taken, they'd gone so far down that road that they couldn't adjust. And so they went for Bielsa light or a Bielsa derivative or America's non-union Bielsa equivalent, Jesse Marsh. Just get get a guy in. And Marsh was not equipped to do it. He was liked, but he was not equipped to do what needed to be done. And, um, and my God, they were nearly relegated last season. Yeah, yeah. Like there was final day stuff last season. So I just think a Leeds legend once said, uh, John Giles said, you know, a manager can be judged on his signings. Well, judge Leeds United as a club on their signings over the past uh, 18, 19, 20 months, however long it's been since Bielsa walked out the door. They've not been good enough. No, it's why they're going down. When, you, yep. when you're a club like Leeds and you have Calvin Phillips and Rafinha, players of that caliber, who you know it's going to be hard to keep them, and sure enough, they go. If you don't reinvest that money wisely, then this is where you wind up because there's not a ton of great players there. So you need that, that money has to be spent in a smart way. And unfortunately, I mean, look, Tyler Adams, I think was a a big success. The fans love him there. Um, But unfortunately he got hurt and there was just not enough, not enough goal scoring there, not enough defending. They're not a good team. They're just not a good team. And they're, they're paying for it in the worst way. Uh, A couple quick things before we get to the Devonlings, JJ um, for the second straight year, fifth time in six years, ninth time in 11th year in 11 years, PSG are champions of France. Mm. Um, it got a little closer than I think most people thought, but in the end, no one can necessarily be surprised with this. Um, wound up being a, a, a sneaky, great season for Messi. I know he kind of went through a patch after the world cup where it was sort of like, eh, is he just going through the motions? He ends the year, 16 goals, 16 assists, uh, 32 goal contributions and 31 appearances this season. Not bad at age 35 for Messi. Um, now, PSG, I don't have much to say about Messi is leaving there, but Messi's situation moving forward, I, I do find interesting because the news is, it's changing JJ at like a mile a minute right now. Um, Javi has said he wants Messi back at Barcelona. There was a report in Lequipe indicating that Barcelona and Inter-Miami were joining forces potentially to keep Messi out of Saudi Arabia. He would have been bought by Inter-Miami and then loaned to Barcelona for a season. Uh, but Guillaume Balaguer 
at the BBC, uh, he has what seems to be a more definitive report indicating that the exact opposite is going to happen. He writes, the 35-year-old World Cup winner wants to stay in Europe, but after it was decided he would leave PSG this summer, the forthcoming offers from the continent have not been attractive enough. In Saudi Arabia, there are government officials already working on his arrival. They've been told Messi has accepted a very lucrative offer from Al-Halal and are preparing for the move. This could simply be his camp preparing for his uh, this could simply be his camp preparing for his decision, or it is the most attractive proposition for the player. Uh, American side Inter Miami are another option, although a reported loan deal between them and Barcelona, where he would end up temporarily at the Catalan club, is not in the cards. Um, he continues because Xavi said that this is 99%, 99% of this decision is down to Messi himself. But Balaguer speaks on that. He says the financial fair play limitations that will be in place for next season also make any ambitious plan to bring him back an impossibility. But rather than admit this, Barcelona prefer to give the impression they're making tireless efforts to bring him home, only for them to be pushed back either by Messi or the allegedly draconian limitations put on them by the league's governing body. It is simply not true. It doesn't sound like this is going to end with Messi playing for anyone other than a club in Saudi Arabia. I think I people mean, need to start wrapping their minds around that if they haven't already. Well, I think Messi needs to start wrapping his mind around it. He wants another spin. He does not want to finish out in either the sands of Saudi Arabia or or America. He doesn't no, want that. He I think wants- his preference was Barcelona. There was even a report, Balaguer went on to say that Messi would have even been willing to go back to Barcelona for free. Yeah. Uh, but there are laws in Spain that would have prohibited that. Um, it's... In the end, I'm a little bit surprised that like there's no other offer in Europe. I know Guillaume Balaguer says that they, the offers coming around from other clubs in Europe weren't attractive enough. There were nothing? Like, is he trying to get – he'll go to Barcelona for free, but is he asking top dollar from other clubs that he doesn't have that emotional connection to? Really? Yeah, I don't – well, I He mean, wouldn't he's... go to, like, a, to play with – I'm not saying Man City may have no interest, but, like, let's say Pep wanted him on a discounted rate to be reunited with him uh, – like he wouldn't do that on a on a lower rate. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's a limit to George Messi's kind of his uh, his uh, generous nature. We've seen yeah. it before. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I haven't really dwelt dwelt dwelled uh, very long on Messi over the last few days. But all I know is that he does not want to be in a place where he wants to finish at the very top, and he do- he still wants that that uh, that that chance of being in the Champions League, that not chance of being, he wants to be in the Champions League with that chance of winning it, with that trophy again. And those options are just very, very limited. I, yeah. And I, I think he's good some... enough. I, he's still good enough to be a, a key player in that competition. Yep. It's, it's unfortunate if this happens, like I get it. If, if you're Saudi Arabian, that's great, but I'm not. And I kind of want to see Messi playing in Europe's Saudi Arabia. competition. Jesus, like, come on. Yeah. He's done if he goes there. Yeah. It's kind of, we all, you know, much like we did with Ronaldo. See, uh, uh, Kareem Benzema appears, nothing's set in stone, but boy, oh boy, a guy who's still playing at his level looks to be headed that way too. I mean, so look, they're, they're going, they're going live golf on soccer. Like th- this is what their plan mm. is. They're trying to, do, it's not just these guys. Like they're, they're going to, they're going to throw a still lot not of watching it. Still not no, watching it. Me neither. I'm not watching live golf either, but it doesn't mean they're not gobbling up talent that matter. Yeah, so they're wow. trying to do that with 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 European soccer talent. We'll see. There's a much more interesting question that you got from the internet, anyway. So yeah, last bit on this, um, before we get to the Devonlings, I, I just talking about PSG and Bayern and a lot of what we saw over the weekend. I got this JJ tweeted. 
at me from uh, Juan Javier Otero, who said, is there a reason I should continue watching this sport? None of the leagues have more than two to three teams that can win, and mostly just one can win. Pathetic. Mm. And I wrote back to him. I said, we will discuss this because, yeah. JJ, I want to say, oh, come on. But it's not it's true. Getting, it's getting harder and harder. If you're someone out there like Juan Javier Otero, who sent this tweet, who's just kind of had it with the structure of this sport right now. Look, I still love it. And I could still, even though it was, no, it was, yeah, it was Bayern. It was the same faces coming out on top, but you can't say there wasn't drama along the way, which I can still find entertainment in. Mm -hmm. But if you're somebody who you've seen enough drama, like that doesn't move you anymore the way that it does for some people, I get it. And if you're bored by seeing the same champions every year and every league essentially feeling more and more predictable, I hate to say it. I don't blame you. Can't argue with you. I really can't. Um, Michael Calley had a tweet above two other tweets. So he retweeted this. And this is Michael Calley's sentence. It's very hard to get invested in choke slash, slash clutch stories in European football because the underlying game is so operatically unfair. And he's responding to John Muller's retweet of Swiss Ramble from August 29, uh, 2022. John Muller tweets, Dortmund finishing level on points with Bayern wasn't a failure. It was a spectacular su- success. Swiss Ramble tweets, FC Bayern Munich enjoy a ma- major competitive advantage in Germany as their 373 million euros wage bill is a hefty 158 million euros. That's 73% more than Borussia Dortmund's 216 million euros. The highest ever gap. This difference is much higher than a similar comparison in England, Spain, and Italy, only smaller than PSG's lead in France. Wow. And PSG are a financially dope club owned by uh, oil state. Now, this is the problem. And one thing I want to cut off straight away, I don't want City fans tweeting in and telling us, we're the disruptors, man. You're not. What you're doing is replacing an unfair, unbalanced system of wealth and riches that had United, Arsenal, Chelsea, etc. at the top, Liverpool at the top, and you're just becoming them supercharged and ensconcing yourself there. You're not a disruptor. You're not a small little guy challenging. And the problem is now that we are going to have these uh, disruptors that they want to call themselves, Newcastle and City, coming in with this massive massive money and for a while yeah it's going to be it's going to be fresh to see Newcastle win a Premier League just like it was fresh when we had Aguero mm-hmm. but the dawning realisation is that if you're an established power or you're a mega rich team backed by a despotic oil state this is the only way to win in this league these are the, these are the people who will, will continue to win there is fundamental unfairness right up and down. And that's why when you watch the League One playoff final with the spectacular win for for Sheffield Wednesday, Josh Winda scoring the header laid on, mm. or you watch you watch just Sheffield Wednesday's story, the way they came through, or you watch Luton Town with their small ground. Like the leagues that have the drama, the je- jeopardy, are the leagues that don't have the money or the coverage. Because it's much more egalitarian. It's much more even. So you're talking about the EFL, the smaller leagues. Um, and even the, some of the smaller leagues are getting destroyed by um, 
by ownership from from other larger conglomerates or being doped themselves. Like the sport is at a point where salary caps and like serious financial uh, draconian financial rules are needed and needed to be enforced, or else you end up with Manchester City, you end up with Bayern Munich, you end up with Juventus. Um, yeah, it's even Glasgow. Glasgow look at Celtic and Rangers in Scotland. Like, yeah, well, like I yeah. mean, look how much bigger they are than everybody else. Um, and that's just a grotesque example of what's going on in most leagues or in the top five leagues in general, um, with the exception of maybe the Eredivisie. It's um, it's not good. It's not good. And, and and if you don't like it, the only thing I'd say about that uh, to um, Juan is, is there a reason I should continue watching this sport? Yeah, it's great. But maybe you want to be, maybe you want to be pickier. Maybe you want to not watch some of the major leagues. I mean, look, if you're looking for parity, I don't know where he's. I don't. I don't know where Juan is writing from. Hmm. Uh, look, look no further than your own backyard. I mean, MLS is bonkers. I am MLS. Nobody's watching that. All right. Well, fair enough. But I'm saying, if you're an, if you're American and you've had it with the lack of parity in the European system, then like get invested in your own league. I mean, I do. I like. That's I do what, think. Like, I'm not gonna. Like, I don't like. I don't want to talk down to people that would consider that as an option. No, you you're right. Do you're right. Uh, you're right. But like. People want to watch, okay, definitely go to your local USL, go to your whatever team you've got, like NPSL side, um, MLS side, support your local soccer team. Absolutely. But like the famous leagues, the leagues with Manchester United and Liverpool. And no, Liverpool, I get it. But, but like, he's, wouldn't it be he nice for crossed, those to... It sounds like he's, he is probably speaking for a lot of people who have kind of crossed the threshold of boredom with, yeah. with what's going on in these yeah, leagues. Fair, and, fair. and I don't know. I don't know if it gets solved. Again, a lot of us will suffer through it because the, look, in the end, we got a lot of the same winners, but the route to get there, I, I take joy and entertainment in. Uh, it's fast. The twist and turns. City having to come from eight points back. Yeah, it's City, but it's still like, can they do it? Can Arsenal actually hold them off? Like, yeah, I still find that. I still find entertainment value in that. Um, but I think if you're if you're this group of people that have kind of had it with the same winners every year, and you enter every season knowing only two or three teams can do it, so so what are we taught? It there's only two things. I think I think a salary cap, which I which won't happen, um, or a playoff system. The top six postseason. Uh, Here we go. Your, yeah, your playoffs. You'll still see a solidified top six, which right, is but jumbl- I, jumbling you will, the names. But but I would You're, say every year you'll get. Why two, not? You'll probably get two teams. In, uh, Brighton would be in a playoff this year. Villa what would have been get? fighting to the end to get into a playoff. I mean, it would. You know, so, why don't the people who are in charge vested with looking after the? We'll, we'll take England for example. The English game. Do that. Have more equal distribution of funds down the league, down the pyramids. Break up the top six monopoly. Don't allow them to have the most TV money. Well, I think if you do that, then I think we're right back where we were a year and a half ago, and we're talking about those teams breaking off and forming their Super League. Andrew, f*** them. Let them go. I mean that. I absolutely mean that. I think it was... I can't remember who I heard talking about this conversation. And, uh, like... During the Super League conversation in 2021, well, what would happen if, if the if these teams moved away, you know, would English football collapse? No, we'd get on with it. Like football would survive, and I think people would be drawn to it because it, they'd still get a good TV deal. People would watch it, and they would watch it because of the jeopardy, and they would not want to watch Real Madrid and Liverpool play 74 times. Let them go if that's what they want. Get rid of them. 
Seriously. Oh man, that is that's bleak too. I don't find I, that I, bleak. I don't, I don't, I don't find that bleak. Have to come to that. Necessity is the mother of change. Oh man, all that history tradition, like that's that's a lot to just throw away. I know, that, but that's 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 got to be the, the last resort. Like, but they're they're who, swapping. No one I mean, wants tri- that. Like, that that can't be the answer. Listen, the history is also comes from the fact that Aberdeen in 1984 could go and beat Real Madrid in a in a in a cup competition. That's the history. The history, like. Real Madrid were dominant, all right, 50s and 60s. I get that. And Manchester United, they had their periods of dominance in the 90s. But there was at least a sense that, you know, there was other things happening. There was some kind of jeopardy. And now it's all ebbing away. And I, I like, if, if, if there was a more equitable setup that meant, okay, Liverpool don't win a title for another decade or United don't win one, but we see other teams do it. Like, surely people would want that. Even the average fan. You're gonna, your team's gonna win less, but there's gonna, it's gonna be more competitive. I mean, maybe fans are so tribalistic now they don't want that. But anyway, breaking news before we go on to the next segment. This from the Daily Mail: Furious Jose Mourinho waits in the car park to tell Anthony Taylor he's an effing disgrace after labeling the English refs Europa League final display following Roma's defeat by Sevilla. There's a piece up online and uh, pictures as well of him. Um, Oh, a video. Let me watch the video. Oh. oh, my God. Yep. No, he said it. It's easy to believe. Again, I, I like I said at the start. Oh, well, of it's pod, not as you, you couldn't. You could not have paid me enough to be that guy to be Anthony Taylor at that match. He's basically shouting your disgrace at him in the in the tunnel. Sorry about that. That's Curse more, more please. It's more edits than you want. God in heaven. Sorry. Jose uh, said it. Blame blame him. Anyway. Look, if so, if someone feels that way, and, and by the way, I didn't mean to be dismissive of MLS. I'm just saying that people would like to see the best leagues in the world be the best. Like, how much longer can NBC keep selling this idea? It's the most exciting league in the world, and that's why you never know in the Premier League. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you do. Uh, let's see. JJ, usually I, I am beholden to the rundown, and I never like to veer off of it. This podcast, we still have the whole Devonlings to do. I have genuinely in front of me a lot of thoughts on what happened with the U.S. men's national team managerial situation with Anthony Hudson stepping down and uh, B.J. Callahan taking the ranks in interim to an interim. Uh, I am going to skip over that for now. If we have time after the Devonlings, I will get into it. If not, I swear I want to get into it on the next podcast because I I do have some thoughts on that um, that right. I that I want to talk about, but. <laughs> but we're but this the red carpet show is going a little bit longer than I think the actual award ceremony is gonna I be. I mean, going. we should have just done two pods, shouldn't we? Well, I mean, here we are. It's Thursday. What are we gonna do? This is this is how it this is how it is. One thing I will say before we get to the Devonlings, I want to give a, a couple quick random shout-outs because we try to show love to support of this pod whenever we can, especially since going independent. Um whether that's through reading your messages on the show, Newman for everything he's done with the Reddit page, our, uh, Pat, who's helped us behind the scenes, Michael, who helped us in the rebrand. I've got a few more that I want to shout out, JJ. Um, so World Soccer Talk, which is an outlet that I, I've got a lot of time for and a lot of respect for. Yep, Every year they so. do this. They they list nominees. They do their annual World Soccer Talk awards where they go through best pundits, best podcasts, soccer shows, everything, so, everything basically soccer media related. And, um, 
So they listed their initial nominees, but then they gave fans the chance. Are we missing anyone? Um, you know, bring it to our attention. Our podcast was not nominated, which I'm generally fine with. It hasn't been before. I I get it. I I disagree. Like I think we do a great job. I think people love this show, but it's whatever. an oversight. But I understand. Whatever it is, what it is. I don't generally think much of it. But I started getting added on tweets, yeah. which is how this came to my attention. Of some of the fans of the show stepping up and and kind of bringing it to their attention that they're missing one in this podcast. So Martin, wow, thank you, um, Brian. I saw tweeting at them. I saw Matthew and Brock posting on the the actual page on the World Soccer Talk website saying that they're missing caught offside. Um, super cool. That uh, was incredibly cool of you guys to do that. Something we didn't ask. It wasn't even, again. I didn't even realize until I saw the ads on Twitter. Um, but the fact that some people out there felt strongly enough to uh, to kind of bring this podcast to their attention, I thought was was genuinely nice and made me made me smile. So thank you to you guys who did that. That was uh, that was very cool. And we'll see. I don't know when the actual nominees for this stuff comes out. We've never done this show to win awards. We do it because we love this sport and we love interacting with all of you and talking about the sport with all of you. But it'd be cool. <laughs> like, I'm not going to yeah. lie. It would be neat. Hey, um, if you could do one thing for us, get over to World Soccer Talk, flood their message board. <laughs> Absolute <I> Flood it. <laughs> You can leave uh, messages on their page, flood it with requests for us. And then when we get added, vote and vote early and vote often. JJ get- is JJ is already shunning his newborn so he can tirelessly create burner accounts with which to reach out to them. Uh, I the have next 24 I've hours. gone through the phone book. I'm literally going through an old phone book from 1974 and I'm creating names and just getting in there. I know, seriously, I'm not. But you should do it, guys. Get <laughs> us up there. Vote us up there. And honestly, I looked at some of the nominees. There's some really good people on there, but I think oh, we yeah. deserve to be up there. You got to back yourself. And um, Jesus Christ, we were eight years with ESPN and these guys haven't added us. Come on. Not it's a... an oversight. And I like that website. I think they do <laughs> great, great work. They really are. They do. And like, I, if I need to know the time of a game, I can always go to them. They've got really good stuff on like the media side. Like uh, yeah. they've got a great, I'll, I'll give them a plug right now. They've got a great article going inside how NBC almost lost the Premier League rights and how they pulled it back from the brink. Really good insight into that. So World Soccer Talk, great website. Are they up to date on the podcasts? Not if you're leaving us out, buddy. So get in there, guys. Vote for us early and often. Okay, let's 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 skew the ballot. Not not in the way that some of you. By the way, we have some listeners who are Trump supporters. Don't go to some kind of length. You know, it, it, it's not rigged. If we're not on it and we don't win, or we're on it and we don't win, that's okay. It's not rigged. It's not a rigged election. Okay, just I just want you to vote normally, like normal people. Coming up, the 2023 EPL Devunling Award Spectacular. Don't go anywhere. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the English Premier League Devundling Award Ceremony. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew Gundling and J.J. Devaney. Yes, yes. Oh, all you beautiful people out there, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for attending, for bearing with us through a, a marathon red carpet session. But we're here now, J.J. It's the 2023 EPL Devonling Award Show. It's one of my favorite podcasts of the year when we go through this because I, I am a nostalgic person. It is my nature. Like I talked about on the last podcast, I've been going back and rewatching old Tottenham clips to try to get myself feeling good again, and it's just what I do. I, I enjoy that side of sports, and this is this is the night of nostalgia where we get to look back on the year that was. It is. It certainly is. Can, can I just say one thing? Um, who did we book for the canapes this evening? For the what? The canapes. The uh, the hors d'oeuvres. The canapes. Yeah. Uh, I. Little bits of little bits of food that are served hors d'oeuvres. Okay. Yeah. You know, finger food. Who did we book for hors d'oeuvres? I yeah. don't even know what this question means. Who supplied the food for the celebration tonight? Because <laughs> I just did diarrhea. <laughs> wow, you're really proud of yourself. I think this You can't even <laughs> No, I'm laughing at you because one of your favorite family guy <laughs> Oh, with the waiter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's such a weird joke. Sorry, so I just thought I'd I'd pretend that we actually had a banquet (laughs) and and had enough budget to actually have finger food, but we don't. No, we don't. It was a bowl of Cheez Its. Hey, I got no problem. A can of Labatt's. That sounds like that sounds good to me. I'm good. Um, All right, so here we go. We got a bunch of awards here. Let's just roll through them. All right, Um, we're going to start out JJ with the manager of the season. I'm going to go first, if that's okay. Okay. Uh, Manager of the season. I'll be honest. I feel like I've said this in past years, too. I found this to be the most difficult category of all of these. This season, definitely. And it's amazing that that would be the case. In a season that's going to be remembered for the obscene number of managerial changes, it also features this many standout candidates for manager of the season. Like, how are those two things possible? What was it? It was like 39 different managers this year? Like, Mm -hmm. if you include all the interims, like, how can it be that you could have that many Terrible teams with managerial changes and this many great candidates. Deserbi, Arteta, Pep, Howe, uh, Thomas Frank, Lopetegui, Silva, O'Neill. I wouldn't fault you for choosing any one of them, but in the end, for me, it's Unai Emery. It's Unai Emery, JJ. Huh. He's my manager of the season. When this guy took over, the idea of European football for Aston Villa was not even a kernel of a thought in anyone's mind. They were 16th when he took over right around the end of October. They had collected 13 points from their first 12 games. They were relegation candidates. Like, that's why that move was made. They were steamrolling towards relegation, not towards Europe. But here we are. Here we are all these months later. And sure enough, Villa will be in Europe next year with the club averaging the third most points per match since Emery took over, only bested by City and Arsenal. And then Villa. That's where they were over the last several months of the season. They had a rough stretch in February. They lost three straight to Leicester City, Arsenal, uh, and uh, or Leicester, 
Manchester City and Arsenal, but then it clicked. Unbeaten in 10 straight, including wins over Chelsea, Fulham, Newcastle. And then with European football on the line, looking like maybe a bit of a long shot, they ended the season with wins over Spurs, Brighton, and a draw with Liverpool in between. Total plaudits to this manager who came in there with this group of players that were fail- that are good. We, we acknowledge there's good players on this team, but they were failing with the previous manager. He came in, saw what he had, turned it all around, and now they're going to be in the Conference League next year. It's an incredible achievement. He's my manager of the season. I think it's a great one. I think you could have had Dejerby. I think you could have had Marco Silva. Um, I'm going for Julian Lopetegui. Wow. Okay. Of Wolves. Now, the current thought is that there's there, there's a significant chance he won't be at the club next season. They are running into some kind of financial fair play restraints, potentially. And so he may not be able to build the squad in the way he wants to. Therefore, he'll be gone. But they were bottom at Christmas. Four points from safety. Now, are they a better side than a relegation battle? I think yes. But only three other teams in the Premier League era were bottom at Christmas and survived. West Brom in 2005. We were talking about pitch invasions earlier on. Remember Kieran Richardson being carried on people's shoulders? Right. Uh-huh. Sunderland in 13-14 and Leicester in 14-15. So, um, I mean, Wolves comfortably stayed up this season. Um, a lot of bad thing, teams below them, yes, but I still think it's a brilliant job by Ju- uh, Julian Julian Lopetegui. And again, there were so many other candidates, but I felt he's not getting that much shine for what he did, and what he did was pretty rare. All right, yeah, he's he was one of the, certainly on a long list of nominees, he was a legit one, no question. Be nice um, if he kept playing Irishman Nathan Collins, but part of his uh, revamping of that squad was to drop him. Yeah. So, not good. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> That name will come up again, actually, mm-hmm. um, interestingly enough. All right, signing of the season, JJ. You want to go first? Yeah, Zhao Palinha, uh, $20 million for the tackling machine who has helped cover that Fulham defense, but also spring attacks from interceptions. Uh, these are some stats that I pulled out from Sky Sports. They did a piece on him in March on uh, Palinha's impact in winning the ball and putting Fulham on the front foot. So it's next possession XG after tackles. So here's the top five in the league. Douglas Luiz at the aforementioned Aston Villa, 1.51. Rodrigo Bentoncourt, 1.55. John Joe Shelby, hmm, uh, 1.56. Kieran Trippier trip, uh, at 1.62. And then Joao Paulinha, 2.04. So the examples have helped explain why, as well as being worse off defensively in the absence of Paulinha, Fulham have conceded 10 goals in the three Premier League games he missed this season. Silva's side were less potent in offense without him. Now, it's a small sample size, but the numbers for shots, efforts on target, and expected goals are all significantly lower without Paulinha. Uh, logically, the same is true of their scoring rate. So, Fulham without Joe Paulinha, just eight shots without him, 11.9 with him. Goals scored, 1.5, one uh, without him. Shots faced, 16. Shots faced without him, 13. Goals conceded, <laughs> 3.3 without Paulinha, 1.2 with him. Just brilliant both sides of the football, as a American football coach would say. For 20 million. Yeah. The absolute steal. He's been brilliant and they'll do well to um to hang on to him. Brilliant bit of business. For me, uh, this is a weird one. The signing of the season for me has to be Erling Holland. I don't think that's uh, which mean has to be. It has to be. And when uh-huh. you have that kind of historic impact. Mm. on a league you break a record that's been around for i mean not forever but 
for a long enough time where it's like, is anyone ever going to do this? You're the best team, best player on a title winning team. You, you know, it wasn't signed. It wasn't a fortune that they got him for. It was a bargain. What was it? Yeah, it's just 900,000 a week. Well, his, you... his weekly, yeah, his weekly wages are one thing, but in terms of what they had to pay for that release clause, it was like this, this the transfer fee wasn't, I mean, it was a, a huge bargain. Yeah. And so, you know, they wouldn't have been able to afford any. Oh, they would. Yeah, they would. So he's, he's the signing of the season, but to me, like, that's it, but I want to give an honorable mention to um, Purvis Estupignan at Brighton. 15 million pounds, one of the best left backs in the Premier League this season. Uh, complete player, good defender, good crosser, threatening an attack, uh, linking up on that side with Matoma, and a bargain at 15 million. So he gets my honorable mention um, for signing of the season. Now, the other side of it, worst signing of the season. I'm going to go first, JJ. <sighs> um, Richarlison. Oh, Jesus. Richarlison, he has to win this. Uh, I mean, just looking at it, an attacking player, 12 starts, one goal, <laughs> a 3.3 XG for the whole season, and then wait for it, JJ, 60 million pound price tag, second most expensive signing in the club's history. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Richarlison. One goal, oh, 60 million. Pathetic. And this award, and I'll say this though about Richarlison, this award is as much an indictment on the club as it is on him because we called this out. Like when when they when they made this signing, this ton of money signing without a clear plan for it, it was kind of Chelsea esque in the way Chelsea have gone about things lately. That was sort of what Tottenham did with this Richarlison one. Where was he going to play? Like who was he going to play over? I, I remember you bring up the possibility of him playing wing back just to get him into the side. That didn't I, I just happening. couldn't see it. I didn't right. see how it worked. So like what was what was their plan with him here? They did, evidently they didn't have one that bore itself out over the course of the season. It was a total non-factor, a wasted season in the midst of his prime. He's 25 years old. What what must he be thinking right now? Uh, FB ref, you know how they do their positional comparisons per 90 over the last year. I love that they do that. It's kind of like a good, where, where does this guy fall among kind of his peers over the last year? Um, well, we know he wasn't scoring goals. I'm not going to read you that percentile, but was he at least doing the other things to help? Well, no. He was in the 27th percentile in shot-creating actions, 19th percentile in successful take-ons. I mean, for this season, at least with the like the exception of the one game in the Champions League when he scored twice, which isn't even what we're talking or evaluating tonight, we're doing Premier League, he was a 60 million pound non-factor. Oh, my God. I mean, it's like a club like Tottenham can't make those kind of mistakes. They made one with, Ind- with Ndombele. They just made another one with Richarlison. So that's, I mean, for me, clear-cut, clear-cut worst signing of the season. Um, I'm going to go to my own backyard and I'm just going to remind you of the midfielder crisis of Liverpool in 20 September, 2022. We need to get a strike a midfielder in Jordan Henderson was injured. There was Thiago Alcantara's injuries. Anybody who'd watched Liverpool in the Champions League final in May knew that they needed to get somebody in. So they got Arthur Mello on loan from Juventus with an option to buy for 37.5 million. Arthur Mello said the following on signing. I'm really, really happy to be here wearing this great shirt with this famous badge that represents so much in world football. It's a dream. We talked a lot and our de- our ideas and visions were a good fit. So I'm sure it was the right choice. I'm really happy and highly motivated to continue living my dream on the pitch and giving my all in a Liverpool shirt. Zero appearances for Liverpool in all competitions. <laughs> Thank you and good night. Zero? Do you want to count the one appearance he had in the EFL trophy for the Liverpool under-21s? Uh, I would like to, yes. 
Okay. That's just, it's miserable. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. miserable. He that came, he saw, he did nothing, he went home. <laughs> All right, that brings us now, JJ, to one of the one of the highlight awards of the night, one of my favorite awards every year, match of the season. Ugh, and we are in agreement. Here we go. Sunday, April 30th, Anfield, Liverpool, Tottenham. Just a week after their horrifying 6-1 defeat to Newcastle, Tottenham season was in the full throes of a stunning downward spiral while Liverpool were doing all they could to climb out of their own downward spiral on the back of a three-match winning streak. The two clubs met, hoping to find some meaning in an otherwise bleak season. Qualification for a European competition would fit the bill, but a defeat in this game would make that possibility all the more unrealistic. The scene was set, and what ensued? Oh, it was one of the most memorable caught-offside cups of all time. Here's what it sounded like. You're welcome here at Anfield. As Liverpool and Spurs jostle for position in the congestion just behind the leading pack in the Premier League. Alexander Arnold. Curtis Jones! 1 0 Liverpool in next to Mozart. And there's Gakpo and Diaz! They're fitting again! Bobby Elliott, Alexander Arnold. Roll through for Gakpo. Diaz, Gakpo went over and Liverpool have a penalty. Salah, the shore. Liverpool running riot. And Tottenham in pieces. Perisic is there first. He sat down Van Dijk and he found Harry Kane. Romero, it's a beautiful ball. Ideally waited for Son who scores for Spurs. Now then, Son flicks it in with Charleston. It's in. The Evertonian old boy has come back to Merseyside and pierced the heart of Liverpool. But now here's Shota. Diogo Shota. Probably are going to think we could call that a bit of a roller coaster. Even with all your experience, had many afternoons as up and down as that. No. Thank God. It just makes no sense. A mad, mad game. Ah, that's right, Peter Drury. A mad, mad game indeed. Truly mad. Absolutely. the One of the best games I've ever watched. One of the weirdest games I've ever watched. Because when Liverpool were 2-0 up, they just suddenly... Um, when sorry, when they went three nil up, it was three. So a week after Tottenham were five nil down in twenty one right. minutes, this game against Liverpool, they were three nil down in twelve. That's they the were point. doing it again. And uh, but they stopped playing, and Tottenham actually looked dangerous. They created chances, and uh, when when Richarlison scored that goal on ninety plus three, I was so deflated. I thought that was it. I did not know what was coming from Diego Diogo Jota. What just Brilliant game. If you were selling the Premier League, that would be one of the games you'd put into the package. You'd put in, there's plenty from the 90s. We know lots of other ones as well. Newcastle, Liverpool, blah, blah, blah. This one goes in there. Absolute stunner. It was entertainment of the highest order. Absolute stunner. Atmosphere. That game had everything. Yeah, Yeah. I'm glad we agreed on this one because, and I know people will say, oh, what about the 7-0? 
Yeah, it was it was a nominee, but it's it was not certainly the, a nominee. It's not the same level of you need the back and forth. I think to be a classic game, uh, domination of one side will will stand out, but it doesn't make it a classic. Uh, yeah, and that is ultimately why we went with what we went with. One of the caught offside cups of of all time, quite frankly. There have been some weird ones, but not not like this. Not like this. God. Um, let's see. JJ, a quick before we get to uh some of our predictions from the season, a quick intermission here to remind everybody that this year's Devunlings is brought to you by Manscaped. That's yes. right. Support for the Devunlings and for Caught Offside is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineer tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the performance package. Join over eight million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping, and the code caught offside at manscaped.com. It's a brilliant, brilliant um, piece of equipment. Uh, I've now used it twice myself, JJ. Uh, like we've always said, it's just so easy. The cleanup is so easy. Uh, the lawnmower, it's the main shaver. You get the weed whacker, which is more for trimming nose hairs. You get the boxer briefs, different sizing options for the lawnmower, the charger, the special travel bag, the boxer briefs. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic product. We can't recommend it enough. And we are so happy to have them on as a sponsor of the Devunlings this year and of Caught Offside. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code CAUGHTOFFSIDE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CAUGHTOFFSIDE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. They do fantastic I've, uh, I've work. U- I've used their, uh, their nose hair trimmer. Nice. Superb. Nice. Yeah. And the, the lawnmower's got the LED light. So you don't miss, there's no rogue hairs, never a rogue hair. Um, fantastic stuff. We can't thank them enough for being a part of the show. All right. So before we get to more awards from this past season, let's go oh, all no. the way back now. Let's go all the way back to our season preview, JJ. I've got all of them here. Other podcasts, they like to kind of, it goes into the ether. Oh yeah, predictions, eh, whatever. No one will remember. On this show, we remember and we hold ourselves accountable. All right. So here's what we got. Uh, I'll just roll through. Uh, this is going to be quick. I'll roll through what all of our predictions were for these various categories, and I'll shout them out. Um, the first one, which newly promoted side will finish the highest? You said Nottingham Forest, which was wrong. They finished the lowest. I said <laughs> Fulham, which was correct. They were 10th above Bournemouth and Forest. Um, club who finished outside the top four last season that has the best chance to finish in the top four this season. I said Manchester United, which was right. They finished fourth. You said Arsenal, which was even more right as they finished second. I was writer. You were more correct. That's that's true. Uh, manager entering the season on the hottest seat. This was the source of a lot of debate, if you can remember back all the way in the beginning of the season. Uh, I said Frank Lampard, which was correct. He was sacked 20 games into the season. I also said Ralph Hasenhutl, which was also correct. And I, I said Eddie Howe, which wound up, he was fine. He's one of the managers of the year candidates. JJ, you said Eric Ten Hag, who you placed on the hot seat before he had even managed a game. For Manchester United. I still yep. don't know exactly what to make of that. but well, I was okay. right. I was right for about, what, two no, games? No, he, no, you weren't. He was never on the hot seat. He, the minute he, you're, you're, you don't understand it. He I do. On, he lost his, he lost at home to Brighton and he lost away 
Four nil to Brentford. I'm aware, and he was Pretty never on the hot seat. hot, my friend. He was never on the hot seat. All right, All right. biggest okay. biggest <clears throat> jump in the table from last year to this year. There was there could only be one answer to this. We both were correct. We both said Newcastle, and that was correct. They moved up eight spots from where they were a year ago. Although technically, you could say Fulham would have been more correct because they were they went from not in the league to tenth. So I yeah. guess that would have to be a, a jump of ten plus spots. So that's probably the uh, the bigger one. But Newcastle. For all intents and purposes, I feel we were both right. Player that we were most excited about before the season. JJ, you said Brendan Aronson. Ugh. Nope. That didn't work out well. One For goal, a little bit. Yeah. One goal didn't play really that much towards the end of the season when they needed mm. to win games. That You also mentioned a whole host of other players, too. I was uh, right about Brennan Johnson, right Brendan, about Julian yeah. Alvarez, wrong about Miguel Damsgaard, yeah. wrong about Thiago Alcantara. Wrong about uh, Perisic. Wrong about Diaz got injured, and very wrong about Scamica. Yeah, yeah, didn't that didn't go well for you? But it also did not go well for me because I was almost inexplicably, <laughs> I was most excited about Patrick Bamford. Um, that was wrong. He made 18 starts this season, 28 appearances, just four goals. Not good enough. New um, man. We were very lead centric on that one. That didn't that didn't. Didn't age well. Um, all right, best transfer. Now, a reminder, the window was still open for another month after we did all this. Yeah, uh, so mine, my prediction was Christian Eriksen. Kind of correct. Good season, seven assists. He was on Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you that. Uh, JJ, you said Nathan Collins to Wolves for $25 million. I would say that that is just not – that was not the best transfer. No, uh, I mean, there was t- there was times when you can see the potential he has. There was stop. other times where he got bullied by Holland, and you're like, okay, that's – that's going to look bad. Uh, Holland and Kane in particular, I remember having good days against him, but I still think he'll be a very good player, but prob I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe Lopetegui, uh, maybe Lopetegui makes a player out of him or a, a better uh, player. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. One of our favorite ones, the, the, what was it? Bad prediction amnesty, the baseless yep. prediction that you're afraid might be terrible. Um, we did all right here. So I did great. I did absolutely brilliant here. Mine was that, uh, Jamie Vardy will finally no longer be good. And I would say that's kind of correct. He went from 15 goals last season to just three this season. Yeah. You predicted that an older player, much older player, serious downturn. Well done. 15 goals last season. Three. Read mine. Mine are brilliant. You said that Chelsea would finish sixth. You were horribly wrong. They finished 12th. (laughs) Oh, come on. Come on, come on. Disastrously bad The spirit of the answer was correct. You said that Steven Gerrard would be sacked after the World Cup. Sacked before it, wasn't it? Again, horribly wrong. Ah, shut up. (laughs) And then you said that Cristiano Ronaldo would play for the United Reserves and get assisted by Tom Huddleston. Not far off it. (laughs) Not far off it. So there you go. So I would say we all did it. We did a decent job there. I did way better than you because I stuck my neck out on ones and I I was right. And by the way... um. You went mental on me, if I remember, or when I suggested Jared would be sacked. I don't remember early. that. Oh, I, I, listened, you... I listened back. I don't I remember thought... that. All right. I thought you were very incredulous at that one. One of my, other, <clears throat> one of my other ones for this that I kind of threw in after you mentioned the Jared thing, I, I mentioned that Aston Villa would break into the upper tier of the league. You're wrong. Well, no, I wasn't. Yeah, you were. How? You were wrong because, you, because at that point, Steven Jared was manager. Who's playing in Europe next year? Uh, Unai Emery's Aston Villa. Yeah. Okay. With the, with, with the players that I pointed out. Oh, it wasn't God. about the manager. You're, it was about the uh, team. you're such, oh my God, sliming his way into that one. Go back and listen. Yeah. Go I go, go back and watch Steven Gerrard play. Uh, his, watch his team play. 
That's not the same team. You are, you're, you know, you're a fatherhood has really made you a bitter, spiteful man. It's sad. It's sad what's happened. Uh, all right. Which player needed to have a big season? You said Harry Maguire. Uh, there's really no right or wrong, I guess, for this. It's more yeah. about what our reasons were. I said Mason Mount, which I think actually is very correct because he was a non-factor and Chelsea sunk like a stone. And yeah. now, by the way, he's agreed to personal terms at United. We'll see if they can come up with a transfer fee. But boy, for like such a Chelsea guy, that went south so fast. Unbelievable. Uh, manager of the year. I said Marco Silva, which I feel great about. He's definitely a finalist for it. You said Jurgen Klopp. Which, nope. Uh, nope. Top scorer. I said Harry Kane. Not bad. 30 goals. I mean, God, any other year, uh, that would have been it. You said Hyungman's son, which um, terrible did not have a good season, really. Player of the year. I went with my usual Kevin De Bruyne. Not bad, but not correct. Well, opinion. I don't and, know. Uh, I, I still think he could be right on that one. I'd be surprised. But in fact, for some player of the year award, that's already been proven incorrect. But De Bruyne mm. had a good year. I, I still feel good about it. He might be my choice again next season, as is tradition. And uh, you said son. You went all in on that one. Didn't bode well. Um, all right. Our top four. My top four, it was almost an impossibly bad prediction. In a league that is noted for like not having parity, I said... In this order, from four down to one, I said Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, and City. Like we're talking about how, like, oh, it's it's also unpredictable. Like it's also predictable in this league now. I mean, do you know how hard it is to get in in a league that we're talking about being known now for predictability? How hard it is to get three of the four wrong. But don't forget, I think we're that doing... right there is kind of like an endorsement for it's actually a little more unpredictable than than we're giving it credit for. But don't forget that our bosom is full of hope in August. Full of hope that everyone thought different. Tottenham was going to be good. They were a title contender coming into the season. Mm. We were wrong, but that's but it wasn't just us, me, a Spurs fan that thought that. That was like that was unanimous, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you had from four through one: Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool, City. So you got two of the four. So not not great either, but at least you did have Arsenal in there. Boy, we missed the boat on Liverpool. Oof, yikes! Uh, relegation. Yeah, well, Mane left. I mean, maybe that was something. I don't know. They played a thousand games last season. Maybe they'd be tired. Yep. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Uh, relegation. I said Bournemouth, Brentford, and Southampton. I went one for three. But I, well, yeah. And uh, you said Everton, Fulham, and Bournemouth. Big offer right there. Got close with with Everton, but yeah, and the I thing, really the I... the thing that we were most excited about coming into the season. Uh, I said the American Invasion, Marsh, Aronson, Adams, Pulisic, Ream, Robinson, Ugh. Matt Turner, Chris Richards. Eventually, Weston McKinney was added to that group. No. I would say that did not go well. No, this all, was not awfully. good. This was Awful. not good. Adams was good. Um, and I would say Ream and Robinson were, were good. Yeah. Certainly. But, I mean, all the lead stuff. Uh, well, Adams was good. But Marsh fired. McKinney was disappointing. Aronson disappointing. Polisic never got going in a big year for him. Matt Turner didn't have the chance, really. I mean, I can't say it was good or bad. Chris Richards didn't, you know, we thought maybe it'd be a chance to play his way into the World Cup side. Couldn't do it. So, yeah, this was, it wound up not not really going well. Not really going well for all the Americans. And, JJ, your thing that you were most excited about for the season was watching games and then getting to talk about them on the pod. That's always uh, the best which, part while, for me. While heartwarming... Uh, was a total cop-out answer and just showed that you had no real answer, so you just kind of said whatever was on your mind in that moment. Yeah, I think I got to that question. I was like, oh, I can't be bothered. (laughs) 
Uh, all right. So that was all of our predictions. I don't know. You guys can decide for yourselves whether or not you think we did good or not. I think there were some that were embarrassing. I'm ashamed that I got three out of my four top four wrong. That I can't even believe that. Um, but I bet a lot of you out there did as well, if we're being honest. Um, so, yeah, you can all judge it. All right. Back to this year's awards, JJ. All right. Here we go. Biggest surprise of the season. You can go. Um, I went b- with uh, Bournemouth and Gary O'Neill. Because Bournemouth were home and hosed, comfortable. They were not part of this relegation last day drama. And this is how Scott Parker left them. These are his quotes from The Guardian. Um, Parker apologized to Bournemouth fans for the rout. This is the 9-0 at Anfield. It goes without saying it is a really humbling experience. I'm pretty shell-shocked, he said. I am not that surprised given the level here is far greater than we have. I'm not making an excuse. Some of the goals were our own doing. I feel sorry for the fans, sorry for the players, because we are ill-equipped at this level. This does not shine a light for me. There are players who are experiencing Premier League football for the first time. I never thought we could get beat 9-0, but I expected a real challenge at certain moments in certain games. This is the toughest day as a player and certainly as a coach. The touchline today was pretty painful. I could sense it was painful for the players. They need some help. Liverpool were rootless and my boys were flat to the floor, searching for oxygen at times and trying to breathe. I can see some more routes. We meet, We need to make a decision. I've been clear how this season could look for us and I stick by that. We need to make a decision and try and help this young group who at times are struggling for air. Every one of us needs to make that decision. We have been trying to get more quality in and there are a million reasons why it hasn't happened. They basically said his team wasn't good enough. Gary O'Neill comes in and after they shipped 16 goals in the first four games of the campaign under Scott Parker, Bournemouth did not concede a single goal from open play in O'Neill's first four games as interim. Perhaps the biggest indicator of the 39-year-old's immediate impact in the dugout. Gary O'Neill was interviewed by the BBC last week and he was asked, how do you pick a team up after the manager has left and after the manager has said those things about the players? that they're not good enough, that there's more beatings coming. And you know what O'Neill said? It was actually pretty easy. The first few games were easy because when he basically said he used that as motivation, the things that were said he used to fuel the team. And what a job he did. Now, there's a lot of dreck. Heck of a lot of dreck this season underneath. It sounds like he put like a dartboard with Scott Parker's face on it. He didn't shy away. That was in the locker room. He didn't shy away from the fact that those kind of things being said were a help to him. Like you're at, there's no lower ebb than nine nil. There's no lower ebb than the manager saying we are ill-equipped. There's going to be more beatings. He took that. He ended up beating Liverpool in the return fixture and denting their Champions League hopes immeasurably. Gary O'Neill's done a brilliant job. And you know what? Sometimes just go and coach. We hear it all the time, usually from English managers. And by the way, that's that's two sackings now Scott Parker has. Inexplicably hired his club Bruges manager. Inexplicably a Champions League manager for a brief period. And he's been fired out of that job too as well. Just going coach. He focused on defence. He tightened things up. And Bournemouth were safe. Gary O'Neill. Uh, my biggest surprise of the season was Chelsea. Um from a points-per-game perspective, this was literally their worst-ever season in the Premier League. That would be a troubling badge for any team to wear, but especially one that, A, was expected to, at the very least, linger around the title race through, I'd say, the new year. 
maybe that's setting a low bar even, and B, was comprised of roughly 600 million pounds worth of incoming transfer talent. And looking beyond that, Jesus, the squad cost, if you just go with the entire squad, this squad for Chelsea cost just over a billion euros. <laughs> that's roughly the same as Brighton, Brentford, Tottenham, and Newcastle combined. That was che- That's what Chelsea cost. What an unmitigated disaster of a season. I mean, in their wildest dreams, did they think it could have been this bad? Closer to relegation than top four. Chelsea, over a billion euros. Now, here's my question, though. Having said all that, is it a bright future for them? I think it still kind of is, weirdly. Mm. Enzo Fernandez, Reese James, back with a full season to get back to full fitness. Poch in his manager. You know what I think of him. The question is the owner. Now, like, this can go another way. He's willing to spend. That's good. If he learned valuable lessons from this season, that you know success in this sport is not just about playing fantasy football with with your squad. If he learned that lesson, then he could be a benefit to them. Um, there's a lot of wild cards with Chelsea moving forward, and there are negatives, but it could be worse. Now, there's a challenge, obviously, ahead for Pochettino. There's a lot of players. I mean, the squad is way too big. He's going to have to sort through and figure out who he can use and who he can't, and that's going to be hard. We already talked about Mason Mount potentially being on his way out. Um, and the other thing for Poch is managing this owner. Like that will be difficult too. Jacob Steinberg wrote this. He said he Poch needs to minimize interference from above and make sure he is not landed with the unwanted signings. Equally, though, the hierarchy want a manager capable of working in a collaborative culture. Pochettino has to be willing to engage with the owners. He has he has his trusted transfer advisors, but he cannot ignore Chelsea's assortment of recruitment experts. The task is not just to be tough; it is to be a diplomat. It's going to be hard. Because Bowley will want to say, um, but we'll find yes. out how much this season taught him a lesson that he can't have the only say, because that did not work. We could easily have just put Mudrick as one of the worst signings of the season. I know he came in January, yeah, but e- easily. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Uh, all right, next one here. Only a couple left, JJ. Goal of the season, another one of the highlights from the night. Sunday, May 14th, with Arsenal breathing down their neck, Manchester City were facing Everton in need of a win to give them a four-point cushion and some breathing room in the title race. Through the first 36 minutes, City could not find their way through, but then in the 37th minute, Ilkay Gundogan left his stamp on the title race with what turned out to be the Devundling Award winner for goal of the season. Here's what it sounded like. Ilkay, first of all, we've got to talk about that first goal. Yeah, I think um, I think it's, it was just instinct. Maris. Gundogan's in there. Gundogan! That is some finish! I was waiting for Riyad's ball. It came quite well for me, you know, to take a touch. And then um, everything after was just uh, instinct, I would say, um, because um, I didn't see any other option, you know, and luckily enough for me, it's worked out. Wonderful improvisation from Ilkay Gundogan! Uh, I love that goal. It was it's kind of one of one. Like there was a lot of goals that we could have chosen that were, you know, rockets from outside the box. Uh, I don't remember too many great Maisie runs, but like as much as I love those kinds of goals, you do see them every year. This this one just looked different. It was the kind of goal that you just don't see. And something about that creativity, his awareness in the box of where he was and what he needed to do to score that goal. Oh. Also, the importance of it with the title race still kind of, you know, hanging in the balance a little bit. I know we all thought at that point that City were going to do it, but they still had to actually do it. And it took moments like this. So, 
yeah, really uh, a player that I really enjoy, and we'll see. He might be on his way to Barcelona. Who knows? Um, but yeah, Okai Gundogan, goal of the season. No, I'm I'm really happy with that one. And uh, anything that's improvised in such a special way, the way he controls it with his thigh deliberately in an in in a really difficult fashion, and then flicks home, super goal. Yeah. All right, let's steamroll through these last few because JJ, this this is we are breaking a record tonight. This is the new longest pod we've ever done. We people broken the love record. it. People will listen to it. Um, it just might take longer to upload. Is my concern. <laughs> we've broken the record. Moment of the season. Uh, you want to give yours first? Yeah, I've got it. It's a double header. Okay. So, um, Roberto Firmino scoring the seventh goal for Liverpool against Manchester United in that crazy game. Uh, I'm trying to think of a scenario where a team is feeling itself so much as Manchester United were after winning the Carabao Cup, the League Cup, to have that almost utterly erased within seven days was just stunning. In the levels of humiliation, the record-setting levels of humiliation. Now, I think was, I, I actually don't... I agree with Jamie Carragher. I don't think Liverpool even played that well. And they absolutely destroyed United. It was stunning. Now, was it a crucial moment in the season? No, but it was a, a standout moment in the season for me. The other one was March 16th, Arsenal versus not a usual Premier League rival, Sporting Lisbon. Ben White, Party, Odegaard, Saka, all rested. William Saliba plays and is injured. The impact that had on the Premier League and the title race can't be understated. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, yeah, mine, like you, I, I had Firmino's seventh. Did you? I did. Yay! That was mine. That was mine as well. Weird, like a, what a weird season for Liverpool. Like a season that was so bad for them, like below expectations, but like they did have like weirdly memorable moments. They, we already mentioned they, they were featured in the match of the season, being on the right side of it. This one, beating their biggest rival 7-0, um, 9-0 over Bournemouth. You know, emotional moments. Firmino with a late goal in his last game at Anfield. You got a good, you know, Salah, 19 goal, 12 assists, like a good season from him. Just like a like a weird Liverpool season. Like good moments that you'll remember fondly in a season that you won't. That's interesting to me. Yeah. No, it's It's one of those things that Liverpool aren't, they're not quite done yet. They're they're they've got enough good players to create those moments, but they're not the unit they were a few years ago. So they're in that weird place. Yeah, they'll be good again. I still I, I believe that strongly. Uh, all right, best eleven. This is a tough one. God, this I, is so hard. Uh, I want to hear yours. So I'll go through I, mine quick. Uh, I always. All right, I'll just go through it. Uh, goalkeeper, I went with David Raya. Um, of Brentford top save percentage by a decent margin also one of the best passing goalkeepers to me I, I that was one I did not have that hard of a time with um, defensively I went Kieran Trippier John Stones Lewis Dunk Luke Shaw in my midfield I went Odegaard De Bruyne and Caicedo and then up front Kane Holland and Rashford it's easy to forget now. Marcus Rashford went through a stretch. I say it's easy to forget. He had a, his whole season was good. Thirty goals in all competitions. He went through a stretch, JJ, that was Salah esque last season, where he yeah. was just scoring every week. It was incredible. Now I will say the guys that I hated leaving off, 
Bukayo Saka was hard to leave off. Gundawan hard to leave off. Alexis McAllister, you know what I think of him. Sala, like I said, 19 goals, 12 assists. Matoma, hard to leave off. Rodri for Man City, that was tough. Lissandra Martinez, Jack Grealish. Those were those, I guess that's my bench. Those are the ones that were hard to leave off. This was this was tough, this best eleven. This was a hard one. Yeah, I found it hard as well, but I've I think I've come up with a team that will both annoy and infuriate. And Here we go. Amount. His Esteban um, Cambiaso eleven. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, Burnt Leno in goal. Um, I think he's the comeback king in terms of goalkeeping. Okay. I think he's been pretty special for Fulham. And I kind of thought he was done after after Arsenal. Kieran Trippier at right back. Dunk and Saliba. The Brighton and Arsenal access at centre back. And then Estupinan at left back. I don't have a problem with any of that. No. So that's a back four. The okay. midfield three. Uh, Paulinha in the centre of Fulham. To the left of him, Matoma of Brighton. To the right, floating a little bit, Kevin De Bruyne. And up front, Mohamed Salah, mm. Harry Kane. And on the left-hand side, Jack Grealish. I mean, see, now you just are being contrarian, guy. I I think Harry Kane's season... Oh, he was, yeah. In he, that In that Tottenham team... I can't yeah. leave him out. I can't no, leave he, him out. No, he, and I yeah, knew you were no going to one, have... He shouldn't be left out. I, I Harry Kane were, should absolutely be on But like our, our teams don't have to be the same. I knew you were going to have Holland in. No, knew, but, if you're, but if you're leaving him out, then you're just not taking this seriously. And, and now that <laughs> that's you've, not you've true. shown, you're just... What? Tell me what's not, not serious about my side. The, my only reservation about my side is that like, Paulinho is going to have a lot of work to do. Um, and I actually, when we're, we're, we're going to be more of a 4-4-2 without the ball. And Grealish can work that because he's had to do it... Um, He's had to press and 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 be defensive minded as well under under Pep Guardiola. I really like my team. If Erling like Holland is not in your team of the season, then it cannot be taken seriously. Um, he's he's not. Jesus, Grealish, Kane, and Salah. Come on, you can only pick eleven, and you said this was hard. And I, he's but, he's the one. He was. It starts there. Okay. Well, let me get the easy one out of the way. Holland. Okay, let's go from there. I mean, you got that wrong. I'm not yeah. dropping Salah. I'm not All dropping right, well, Grealish. In fact, in fact, I felt bad. I. I felt bad about leaving Rashford out and Holland out, but that's just well, the way it is. Well, then you're going to hate this. Now the the night ends, JJ, with the Jordan Henderson Award for Player of the Season. <laughs> My, I'll just go first. I'll get it out of the way. It's Holland. I mean, for God's sakes, it's Holland. Yeah, thirty six goals in the league, four hat tricks. Uh, there's no point in going over all the accolades. You've heard them all a thousand times. I think that that's your pro- you're just bored with him. Like you're you've heard it every week, so you can't take it anymore. So you're acting out, you're lashing out. No, that's what's happening here. He's no, could, uh, Andrew, season. Andrew, Andrew, could Manchester City win the league without Erling Haaland this season? Could they have won it? I don't know if that's what the determining factor is here. Could they have who won the, the league? Who was him? the best player in the league this season? It was Erling Haaland. Now, mm-hmm. now here's what we'll do. I'm not going to go through all the other accolades. So instead, I presented, I prepared some trivia for you, JJ. Some Erling Holland trivia. No you interest. Ready? But go on. Okay, we'll start with this. Uh, let's see. Man City has now won four straight Premier League Player of the Season awards. Who were the previous three? Uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Mm-hmm. It was uh, him twice, and then there's one other guy. Bernardo Silva. No, Ruben Diaz was sandwiched in between. Okay. So Holland, De Bruyne, Diaz, De Bruyne. Erling Holland lists this player as his all-time favorite. Uh, all-time favorite. Don't know. Zlatan. No, I bet. He's a Zlatan man. Uh, these two goalkeepers were beaten by Holland four times each this season, the most of all keepers. Don't know. Uh, Jose Sa of Wolves. Okay. Four times. And Vicente Guaita. 
of Crystal Palace. Oh, okay. Um, Two big hitters there. This Jose Saw is a good goalkeeper. Yeah, he's a good keeper. Yeah. Um, this player provided more assists for Holland's goals this year than any other player this season. Kevin De Bruyne. That's right, with seven. Mm-hmm. And finally, Erling Holland averaged a goal every 77 minutes this season in the Premier League. Among all players with 10 or more goals in a season, only one player has had a better goals per minute number than that. Can you guess him? It's tough. Across, uh, but there, there's a link between Holland and this player. Don't know. It's Ole Gunnar, Gunnar Solskjaer. Solskjaer in 98-99. He averaged a goal every 71 minutes. Norwegians with a stranglehold on goals per minute in the Premier League. How about that? <laughs> Incredible. So there you go. Holland trivia. He is my Jordan Henderson award winner for player of the season. What do you uh, my, I'll keep it brief as this thing is going long. Kevin oh, De Bruyne, yeah. he was the difference in two games against Arsenal. Um, like for Arsenal, those could have been the defining games. But as we know, there was a three-game run where they decided to implode. That ultimately cost them the title. But if it came down to who was going to show up, Kevin De Bruyne showed up and was magnificent in those two games. Uh, scoring as well in those two games. Uh, I just, I, I think he's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I love watching him and he's my uh, player of the season. There you go. Not nary a mention of Holland on JJ's Devonling Award Spectacular. Uh, you know it's what? It's amazing. You it's, like a, it's like his season never even happened. There is a thousand podcasts out there where you can luxuriate in Holland and that's oh, you so both, now, See, now we've gotten to the heart of it. You go for it. Those are probably all podcasts nominated for awards. This is what's holding us back. Your your lack of seriousness. <laughs> this was a joy. I cannot believe how long this went. Apologies to Anthony Hudson and BJ Callahan. I just simply cannot get to you tonight. I even had comment a little bit of MLS stuff because I was watching New England and Atlanta earlier tonight, which was an early candidate for that match of the season. Holy crap. But the BJ, the BJ Cunningham stuff. Um, Callahan. Callahan. Like... I read through the athletics piece no, on him. He same. won't be. He won't be outworked. He's from the Jim coaching, Jim co- uh, uh, Curtin coaching tree. First one in, last one out. That that that. Should I? Are you going to suck me in? Should I give my my thoughts? Because it's not even about him. It's about the process. Well, it's about the fact. All right, you know what? We're it's two hours in. What's the difference if we go two hours and four minutes? So here's my issue with it. Like, I don't have a problem with him. It's fine. Yeah. Like, it's he'll do a good job. He knows the system. He's been around the team. Here's my problem with this. And try to bear with me as I kind of, like, talk my way through it. Because I want it to make sense. But it might not. But, like, I talk all the time about how much I love this team and how much I want to be, like, invested and care. But, like, what are they – there's, they're hammering us over the head with this unfortunate truth that, like, for however much fun we want to think the Nations League semifinals and final are, however much fun we want to think the Gold Cup is for our soccer summers, like, U.S. soccer is reminding us that they don't value these competitions. So if, like, U.S. soccer doesn't value them, what am I supposed to do as a fan? I feel foolish almost. Like, imagine mm. England being cool with an interim to an interim leading them into a Euros. Like, I know, look, I'm not stupid enough to equate, like, I know the Gold Cup and Nations League, I know it's not the same as the European Championships, but it's, but over here, this is what we have. Like, there, I know we got a Copa America next summer, but that's not the norm. Like, these are the competitions that we're supposed to value. So if U.S. soccer, like, again, I'm not telling them to rush into a decision, 
but like it it does send a fan a message that like these competitions aren't that important like you can all all you fans out there like get all worked up all you want we don't care we're in this for the world cup and that's it and as a fan of us soccer i need more and it's unfortunate that my own federation is kind of reminding me that yeah there's not a whole lot going on here that's really that important that we're willing to give it to an interim to an interim. Like, that's that's just a bummer to me. And I, I know this comes off as like a scathing rebuke of, of Callahan leading him into these competitions. I don't mean it like that. Like I, I it's cool that he's getting an opportunity in like his first game is going to be us Mexico in a nation's league semifinal. Like that's incredible stuff, a dream come true for him. But I'm just saying as a fan, that's kind of tr- trying to trick himself into thinking that this stuff matters. My own federation is making it hard. And that that is my kind of weird takeaway to this. No, I, I get you. I get your feelings. And and look, I could read so much stuff about him. Again, the first in, last out stuff, the hard worker. Nobody's going to outwork him, all this stuff. Listen, we got a we got a game that leading up to it, you're like, oh, Nations League semifinal. The minute those teams take the field against each other in Allegiant Stadium, USA, Mexico, it's going to be a serious, serious game. It always is. And it's a competitive game and it matters. So we'll see what is what he's made of then. Um, but I agree with you. Interim to the interim is... It's a tough... Again, I, I feel bad saying it because like, like he, might prove me, he might prove me wrong. He might win these competitions. He might turn out to be great. I hope he is. I mean, like I love his experience. You talk all the time, JJ, about earning it. Well, he's earned it. Or Sinus College. Uh, he kind of... I should love this guy. He's managed right around near me in Montgomery County, outside of Philadelphia and in Delaware County. Um, you know, the union uh, he was with under Jim Curtin and now with the U.S. Like he's earned it. He's got he knows the U.S. soccer system. He's come up through all the ranks of it. He knows it inside out. And I think it's awesome. He's getting an opportunity. I just think it's like the timing of it is unfortunate. I get what U.S. soccer is at- doing. They're not going to rush into a decision. Um, but by the same token, like do these do these tournaments matter or not? I, I don't know. That's yeah, that's what I, I- I'm with you on that. And uh, look, Anthony Hudson forced a hand as well in a quick, a quick fashion. He's taking a job somewhere in the Middle East. So I guess this is the decision they've taken. And um, like I said, everything will be tested and his metal will be tested, whether he's ready for this kind of role or not against the U S on Thursday, June 15th. So there we yeah. go. So that's a, kind of my abridged thoughts. Obviously we'll have more on that. Uh, Cause yeah, we're just two weeks away from uh Come on, no game. one's going to get through this. We got to go to bed. All right, all right. I know well, you. You, I mean, your baby's probably going to. You got to be up. You shouldn't even go to bed at this point. You got a exactly. feeding coming. Exactly. Up. So uh, give me twenty minutes of sweet, sweet sleep. All right. Well, I edit all your cursing. Hey, this was a joy. I enjoyed this. I love the Devonlings every year. I can't believe this is really the end of the Premier League season. But of course, you got an FA Cup this weekend, and then Champions League final after that. Uh, so the soccer is certainly not over as Manchester City goes for the treble. This was fun. I love this. JJ, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. (laughs) 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.